Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon and just before we get into this episode, in case this is the first time that you have heard of us, I just want to let you know how we operate. So we are a traditional audio-based podcast that focuses on 90s movies and TV shows. Half of our episodes is myself, Simon, and my co-host Dom going through these 90s movie and TV shows, reminiscing, going through, analysing, scene-by-scene, reviews, trivia, all of that good stuff. And the other half of our episodes, we're lucky to be joined by cast members or people from the crew or production, from the movies or TV shows that we're covering to hear their perspective on things. So we've decided that now, going forward, if we have an episode where we're joined by a cast member or someone from production etc or just a guest in general that we are going to also release the video content of that onto youtube so regardless whether we have a guest on or not we will always release the audio content onto all of the major podcast platforms so you can find our podcast on itunes spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anywhere you can find podcasts you'll be able to find us under the mighty 90s And we have a great back catalogue on there as well with special guests on that we just weren't clever enough at the time to record the the videos. We can't share the video, but if you want to go back and listen to some of those, we had Rule D. Lewis, who played Junior Bevel in Cool Runnings. We've had Brandon Baker, who played Johnny in Johnny Tsunami. We had Matt Doherty, who played Averman in the Mighty Ducks trilogy. Marcus Toji, who played Marcus in The Little Giants. And then loads of other episodes that we've done that it's just me and Don. So if you'd like to find any of that stuff or any of the audio of the podcast, you can find all of that wherever you find your podcast. If you enjoy it, please rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think. Let us know of other guests or movies you'd like us to cover. And hope you enjoy this episode of The Mighty 90s. Hello and welcome to The Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Don. And I'm Kate. And on this episode, we are diving into the classic Three Ninjas. Hey! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Mighty 90s, where it is always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, move upstairs, and settle in, as tonight's movie for debate is The Three Ninjas. Dom and I are incredibly honoured because today we have with us Kate Sargent, who was Emily in The Three Ninjas, which is overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) Tom and I love this film so, so much. Um, So Kate, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot. With the global pandemic happening, uh, and obviously now the massive civil rights movement uh, that has taken a a massive global stance. How, how are things in, in your part of the world and, and kind of how is it um, affected in your area and what, what's, ha- what's happening in, in your sort of state and where you are now? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as you said, we've got two big things happening right now, right? So we've got this global pandemic uh, where 120,000 people at the moment that we're recording this, uh, their lives have been lost to COVID-19. And that number is staggering. I, I can't even, I can't even really conceive of how many families have been affected by this. It's a very 
lonely, sad disease. You have to be in the hospital by yourself. You cannot be surrounded by your family. You have to die alone. Uh, and it's, it's horrendous. Uh, and, you know, we have cases now, upwards of 30,000 cases a day, uh, and, and it doesn't seem to be stopping. You know, we haven't flattened our curve. Um, so, you know, we've been in lockdown in California since March 13th. Um, 40 million people at one point had filed for unemployment. Uh, it's a massive, massive number. And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger. And, you know, we really have two public health crises going on right now, right? So we've got COVID-19 and this pandemic, and then we have racism because racism is a public health crisis. And the perfect example is COVID-19 because black people are dying at twice the rate of the rest of us. And they only make up 13% of our country. So they are being affected by this in a way that is devastating. And then in the middle of this, over Memorial Day weekend, George Floyd is murdered by a white police officer. And this is something that happens every single day in this country. But I think the reason that it became a tipping point, I think the reason that it pushed us to this civil unrest and the civil rights movement. Um, and it's not, it's not just a moment, it's a movement. It is a worldwide movement. And I think the reason that it pushed us to that point is because we all watched nine minutes of this man's life being drained from his body. And there was no reason for it. There was no reason. I don't care what he was accused of. It was a supposedly a $20 counterfeit bill. The punishment for a $20 counterfeit bill is not death. And because we all watched it play out from beginning to end, there was no argument of, oh, what happened before? We all saw the entire thing. It is horrific. And as a mom, you know, hearing him cry out for his mom, like it just, it broke me, you know? And this is not about me, right? But it woke all of us up. And I think there is a direct correlation and you know, this will make sense as we go on with the podcast, but there's a direct correlation um, to something that affected Three Ninjas, which is Rodney King and the LA riots or the LA uprising, um, as it should be called. Uh, because in the case of Rodney King, just like in the case of George Floyd, there was a video of the entire event. And so the four officers that beat Rodney King, we saw it from beginning to end. And so, you know, black people have been screaming about this, right? For centuries about the racism and the mistreatment and the police brutality, uh, and they've been ignored. And, and one of those massive turning points was Rodney King because we all got to see it. And so it's pushed people to realize that they have to get on the streets. They have to put their lives on the line. They have to protest. They have to fight for better. And we have to dismantle the systemic racism that is honestly the foundation of our country. Right? Because when our country was founded, there were indigenous people living here and we took the land from them. It is in the very roots of our nation. It has been rotting us from our core from the second we became a nation. And we have to reconcile with that. And so I've been doing just a lot of listening and a lot of learning because as progressive and woke as I think I am, there are a lot of things that I don't know. Now, I'm gonna direct your listeners, you know, as, as much as this is gonna be about Three Ninjas, um, please do some investigation, right? Do some learning beyond the history that you know. So a great place to start uh, is a documentary called The 13th. 
and it was on Netflix. It is on Netflix, but now they've put it for free on YouTube so everyone can watch it. And it really lays out for you how slavery never ended in the United States. There is a 13th Amendment uh, that was ratified and that freed the slaves, um, but there is a loophole in the 13th Amendment. And that loophole is that, yes, you cannot enslave another human being unless they are a criminal. And that began the second wave of, of slavery, which is the prison system. Uh, and, you know, things that I'm sad and upset at myself for not knowing, I didn't know that modern policing in this country, the first police officers were slave catchers. And so that's where all of this started. And it's important to understand where it started in order for us to grow and evolve and dismantle this system. We have to understand it before we can tear it down. And I also have been listening to the 1619 podcast, which I really recommend. Uh, it, it again kind of lays out the history of slavery and black people and Jim Crow and um, you know a lot of things that I think we have a very narrow view of based upon what we read in our history books. That the big takeaway, the most important thing to take away from this is that black lives matter. And this is a mantra that all of us need to be saying every single day and incorporating into our lives because George Floyd's life mattered. Breonna Taylor's life mattered. Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed. She had not committed a crime and she was murdered in her sleep. She was an essential worker. Her life mattered. And right now, as we are recording this, the officers who murdered her have not been charged and they have not been arrested. And so we cannot rest, we cannot stop until this changes. For Brianna, for George, for all of the black people who've been murdered in the streets and murdered by police. So please go to blacklivesmatter.com. Give if you can, read about the cause. I know it's hard for everyone to be out in the streets due to the pandemic and health concerns. There are other ways you can be part of this movement. There are other ways that you can invest your time and energy. And so I just really implore everyone to be part of it in whatever way you can and to fight for the cause of Black Lives Matter. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, you know, I know this podcast is going to be fun. It's going to be about three ninjas, but I think it's important to understand, you know, what's happening in this country now and in this world uh, is a movement that we all need to be talking about that, you know, we need to use our white privilege. Um, we need to identify it and use it to amplify the voices of black people and people of color who have been activists and who've been trying to make us see. And now we do. And I really hope that this is the tipping point that's going to lead us to real change in this country and in this world. That's a great answer and very informative. <laughs> and like you said, it's you wouldn't expect to, to hear things like like this on a podcast like this in terms of it being, you know, it's just like a fun podcast about 90s movies, etc. But it shows how, how powerful, uh, you know, the situation is and that it's getting into every facet of life. And, and like you said, hopefully this is a stimulus for change. And we will for sure put all of the links to everything you just mentioned uh, in the description below. And yes, please, everybody uh, get involved and, and read up and knowledge is power, as they say. And yes. uh, I'm sure Dom and I, well, we definitely will get involved and uh, we'll read up and, and 
watch and listen to those things as well. Yeah. We're obviously going to come to the Free Ninjas, but you personally have a really successful and uh, amazing career that you know is continuing yeah. and I'm sure is going to continue to thrive uh, from acting to now being behind the camera in producing and writing on shows like uh, Castle, uh, CSI Cyber, which is a favorite. One of my good friends loves that. Really? Oh my gosh, you might be like the only person who's ever said that to me. <laughs> so that's a nice <laughs> thing to hear. <laughs> Well, my friend, he's also called Simon, uh, coincidentally, uh. and he, I'm, I'm not saying as in it's me, it is actually another person called Simon. Uh, and right. he, he <laughs> it's okay it. if it's you. You can admit if you love CSI Cyber. You won't, you won't lose your clout. You won't lose your street cred, I promise. <laughs> I, you can see from the office behind me that right. I have zero street cred. So. <laughs> uh, but he, he loves it. Because uh, Bow Wow is in it, right? Bow Wow is in it. It has a great cast. Ted Danson, Patricia Arquette. We actually cast her the year she was nominated for an Oscar. So the whole time we're writing this crazy CSI cyber dialogue for her, she's, you know, going on a press tour as, you know, an Oscar award-winning actress. I'm, I'm like, I'm writing for an Oscar award-winning actress. How is this happening? Uh, so that was really surreal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I always knew I was destined to be in some way, shape or form a part of the entertainment industry. Since I was four, basically, I would look at the TV, like a Sesame Street or a Mr. Rogers, and I'd point at the TV when I saw a little kid my age, and I'd say to my parents, how do I get to be on TV? How do I get to be that kid? Um, and at the time, you know, we lived in Northern California where there was, you know, it's not Hollywood. There's, there's no commercials or TV or film productions. And my parents just kind of looked at me like, well, I don't know. <laughs> We're, we're real estate agents and mortgage brokers. Like we have no idea how kids end up on TV. <laughs> uh, and then we, uh, we moved to LA when I was seven and it's all I could talk about. I mean, when we left uh, San Jose, Northern California, we had a goodbye party with all our neighbors and friends. And I just ran around telling everyone the next time they saw me, I would be on the big screen. <laughs> and my parents thought I was losing it. And, but I, I just knew, I don't, I don't know how, um, but I just knew I was destined for it. I knew I was passionate about it. Uh, and so when we got to LA, it's all I could talk about. And finally my mom, you know, I wore her down and she gave in and she put me into an acting class and one thing led to another, ended up getting an agent. I booked the fifth audition I ever went on. It was a Joy Dishwashing National commercial, um, which got me my SAG card. That's the union for actors. So, you know, at seven, I'm in the union. I'm a full-fledged actor. Um, so I'm always union strong. Go union. Uh, so I've been a member of a union since I was seven. So that's that's a pretty big deal. And um, now I'm part of two. So I'm part of SAG and WGA. So um, union girl all the way. Uh, yeah. And then um, it just, you know, the thing about acting for me, uh, I was always passionate about it, but my parents were rightfully so very strict about the fact that academics and school came first. So, you know, all my auditions had to be after school. Nothing could ever interfere with my schoolwork. And if it did, you know, we chose school over acting and auditions. Um, and then, you know, so I did some commercials and TV spots and um, small things along the way. And, you know, Three Ninjas was really the biggest role that I had ever gotten. And at the time, um, when I was auditioning, I was 11. And 
uh, you know, I loved auditioning. I, most, most actors, you have to realize your job is auditioning, not necessarily working in front of a camera. Your job is being in that room and, and, and capturing that moment and, and selling them on this character for the two minutes that you have. And I remember I walked into the door. So I'd gone through many different auditions. I had, you know, a pre-read with a casting director, maybe even a couple of those, a couple of producer sessions. And then my final audition for Three Ninjas, um, it was me and four other girls. And we kind of looked like the spectrum. We had all, you know, different looks. <laughs> and uh, I walk in the door and I didn't know at the time, but John Turtletob was in there. Um, and Michael Trainer, who was to play Rocky had already been cast and he was in there too. Um, and it, I found out later that it was very important to John that we had a chemistry with each other. That whoever he cast as Emily, even though we were only 11 and 12, that there was something tangible there. And so he really wanted Michael to read with all of their final choices. Um, and so I remember, you know, walking in there, just immediately sparking with Michael. We just like smiled at each other and, you know, just that kid kind of flirtation. It's very innocent. Uh, but there was definitely a vibe, you know, like I think we just liked each other from the jump. Uh, and then I left thinking, all right, who knows, maybe, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And you gotta forget about it. Like the key about auditioning is the second you walk out the door, you gotta just leave it there as if almost it never happened and just walk away from it. Um, and we got a call a couple days later that I had booked the, the job and um, we didn't even really know what that meant because it was such a small indie. I mean, it, it wasn't attached to any studio. It was these four independent producers who I don't think had ever done a movie on, on this scale before. They had, it wasn't this is the first time in America they'd done a big a scale movie like this. Um, so we didn't really know what to expect. And John Turtletop was right out of college. I mean, it was his first film. I don't know if you guys know this, but it was literally the first film that he'd ever directed. Um, so, you know, like brand new director, producers who hadn't done this kind of movie before, who knows what you're really walking into, but I was so excited. Um, and we did find out when, you know, I got on set from Michael's mom, told my mom, of course, the moms always gossip together, that um, John Turtletop actually asked Michael after the auditions for Emily, after all of us went in and got to read with him, he was asked, who was your favorite? And he chose me, which, you know, was sweet. That's <laughs> um, perfect. Yeah, which definitely makes you feel good, you know? And, and it just was, like, we just, we just had, you can, you can see it on camera. We just had a very sweet chemistry with each other. Um, Complete. Well, I just, I just totally just jumped in, huh? I just gave you like <laughs> the whole, <laughs> the whole spiel. <laughs> I, I was enjoying it so much, I kind of forgot that we're supposed to be hosting it. I was just like, <laughs> like watching something on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> right? The whole women to be asking questions and things like that—that that just went out the window. I know. I know. I know. Well, there's um, a few things to unpack there. So we want to, if we if we can, I want to sort of yeah. go past free ninjas, go sure. through a couple of things of where you're at now, and then go yes. back to where it all begun. But great, um, great, great. We had uh, we did an episode on Cool Runnings with Rule D Lewis, who played Junior Bevel, and uh, who's you know one of the Bob Setters, and he was saying that because that was directed by John Turtletarb as well, and he said that. He was speaking about the three ninjas on set uh, of Cool Runnings and saying how excited and how happy he was with that movie. And that movie actually gave him the notoriety to do Cool Runnings. Um, 
which is awesome to know that yeah. he obviously, you know reflected on it as well in so positively yeah. um but just to say so so we'll put three ninjas on pause for a second <laughs> okay you, you also were in an episode of sister sister i was <laughs> i was the hula hoop girl and i sang hoop there it is which I'm not oh, going nice. to, I'm not going to redo it for you right now. <laughs> this is you the can, perfect platform for you to do that if you choose to. <laughs> you can use your imagination. It's actually probably on YouTube somewhere. And I still get residual checks for it. So someone is airing, I mean, they're like $2, but someone is airing it somewhere which is nice Very Nickelodeon probably doing probably doing justice there <laughs> right? yeah that was a that was a great it was a great experience I I'm a comedy girl at heart um, even though I've written on all dramas I'm actually a comedy writer so in all of the dramatic writing there's always it's always infused with comedic tension and banter and it's just where my my brain and my imagination go. Um, but it was my first time being on a set um, and being on a half hour comedy with a live audience. Uh, so I'll tell you my, my one funny story from that show. Um, so I'm cast, I'm on set, but you know, you can lose your job at any time, right? Just because you're cast doesn't mean you're gonna get in front of that live audience. And it was a small part. Uh, so there was a moment where we were kind of fiddling around with the hula hoop and all of the executive producers and the showrunner were sitting in the first row of the audience. And they asked if I could do, they hadn't seen me do it yet. And one of the reasons why I got cast is I'm an excellent hula hooper. It's one of my one of my hidden talents. Um, I I will say just a little three ninja thing. I am not a good bike rider, so <laughs> if you've noticed, I'm a terrible bike rider on three ninjas. But I'm a very good hula hooper. So anyhow, but I was nervous, and so I was doing my thing, singing hoop. There it is, and I had two hula hoops on my arms and one going around my waist, and one of the hula hoops on my arms like literally flew off. And it was going fast. So it had a lot of speed and it hit the showrunner right between the eyes. Oh God. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're gonna fire me. That's it, that's it, I'm done. Uh, and luckily he had a sense of humor. He laughed nice. and he said, we're gonna do that for real. Like, cause the whole thing was about a talent show. And I don't know, I don't think they ended up using the take where I did it, but they had me do it where the hula hoop flew off and it hit one of the series regulars in the head. Um, cause he just thought it was so funny. So it was great. And it ended up being a bit and he liked it, but it could have gone very, very wrong for me. So but that's you, you, made, you made comedy gold. In your, I made comedy gold. I did, I did. Uh, so, what would be yeah. fantastic is, is if, because you had one on each hand, is if you, yeah. got, if you got Tia and Tamara, but we got her one each. Bang, right. bang, done. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, I'm just uh, impressed I remembered their names. That was you all. did. I was, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> They've had a great career. I'm, you know, they were such sweet girls and being on their set, uh, you never know how it's going to go. And they were so welcoming and lovely and sweet. And the whole set just had a really good family, loving uh, community vibe to it. So it was a, it was a great experience.
my my wife would probably be upset for me saying this, but she still watches uh, she watches the real with uh, yeah. Is, is it Tamara's on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dom, that's like a a US version of Loose Women, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fair yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but like like the real, I guess, in a way, to try and segue again. Sister Sister was global because that was part of our you know us growing up as well here in the UK. Oh. So it makes sense yeah. that you would still, it's still being played somewhere because it's probably still be, being played here in some format. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good, successful show. You know, I, I was really lucky. I was also on 30-something, which I don't know if they played 30-something in the UK, but um, that show did really well. And I just, yeah, I got really lucky along the way. I got cast in some great shows and met really incredible people. And um, yeah, Rob Cohen, was, who's a big director, he directed me in my first commercial and that Joy Dishwashing commercial where I got my SAT card. So I always kind of just had this, you know, this sort of destiny that I imagined for myself. I just kind of manifested it in these really cool ways. Um, yeah, and then honestly, and I know I keep going back to Three Ninjas, but Three Ninjas was such an important turning point for me um, because it was, a, it was a set that I was on the longest for the longest amount of time. Because when you do a TV spot or commercial, it's one day, it's two days, um, but Three Ninjas was a few weeks. In fact, I think three or four weeks like, of my, my time there. Uh, and so I really got to know the crew and John and the boys and the cast. And we really became a family. Uh, and it just opened my eyes to so many things. I was so fascinated with everything that happened behind the camera. And that's really what brought me to being a writer and a producer. I think it sparked so much curiosity in me in terms of, okay, how does all, what's the mechanics of this? How does it all work? And I would go around and I would ask all the different crew members in their downtime, not when they were actually working, but when I, you know, could have a moment with them, what their job was, how they did it, um, how they got to this point in their career. And I just, I wanted to learn. I wanted to be a sponge, you know, and I was 11, but it was just all so fascinating to me and inspiring. Uh, and I knew deep down that I wanted to create and I wanted to write, and I wanted to produce, and I wanted to direct. I had no idea how, but I knew that that was my next phase, my next chapter. Uh, and obviously I love acting, I love performing, but I think I always knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to be the one creating. And I think it's helped so much having been an actor, understanding what it means to be in front of that camera, the thought process that goes into building a character, um, the pressure. Uh, I know how to speak to actors when I'm on set. And it's kind of my other, my hula hooping and my talking to actors on set. Those are my two major superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, you gotta diversify. Uh, But yeah, I really feel like when I'm on a set, and hopefully I can be on one again someday after the pandemic is over, but I love being on a set. It's where I feel the most at home. It's where I feel like this is where I'm meant to be. I just love everything about it. I love how hundreds of people come together to make this one thing a reality, this one idea that was in my brain. I mean, literally you go from, you're sitting on your bed by yourself with your laptop with a blank page, and you fill it with words that hopefully will mean something to someone. And then three weeks later, four weeks later on TV, it happens very fast. You're on set and these people are all making your imagination a reality. And it blows your mind every time. It, I don't, you don't become desensitized to it, right? Every time I'm on set and people are saying the words that I wrote, I feel honored. I feel grateful. And I feel re-inspired because 
it didn't have to go this way for me, right? It's a very difficult industry to be in. Um, these jobs are not easy to get. And so I'm always grateful for those moments. And, and I know what it's like to be that actor, you know? And, and so I can talk to them, I can commiserate with them. Uh, and I can feel like, you know, we really can be on the same wavelength in a way that not all writers and producers can. I'm not saying that they can't, obviously. Uh, but I just, I have an ease. I have a just, because I've lived on set since I was seven years old. You know, it's, um, it's something that I just really enjoy. Well, it's something that Dom and I have spoken about on this podcast a few times is how fictional characters can be so impactful on people's lives and people take such influence from movies and TV shows. And so that must be an amazing feeling that you're able to write and produce something that effectively mm. can have a real impact on somebody's life as much yes. as like all of this media has impacted us in a way and continues yeah. to do so. So it's an awesome job. Uh, but I, I also read online and obviously the internet's full of lies. So correct me <laughs> okay. if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, but you also studied in, in here in the UK, right? I did. I did. I was going to get around to that. Uh, yeah. So I went to UC Berkeley for my undergrad and I ended up majoring in English, minoring in dramatic arts. And in my senior year, I was doing a pilot program in their directing. They had like a directing, um, basically it was not part of the established dramatic arts department, but they wanted to see if they could incorporate a class based on just, you know, focusing on directing. And during that time, I became really close with the professor who was leading the program. And he said, you know, this is gonna sound, you know, a little bit like a crazy risk um, because they only accept one American a year. But I really think you should apply um, RADA, for those of you who don't know, is the Royal Academy of the Dramatic Arts, has a master's program uh, specifically for people who want to direct and write. And I think you would be perfect for it. And I'll recommend you highly. And I have a contact there. And so he, you know, I thought, all right, I mean, what do I have to lose? At that point, I had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated. I was like three months away from graduation. And I thought, Hail Mary pass, like maybe I'll get in. Maybe I'll be the one American that gets into a program that has like 25 kids in it. Uh, and I did, I got in. Um, and it was, it was just, it was another turning point for me. I feel like Three Ninjas was a massive moment in my life that sort of put me on a path. And then being at RADA and everything that I experienced, I lived in the UK in London for a little over a year. And in that time, I did this master's program. It was an accelerated master's program. And then at the end of it, uh, your dissertation, you could write a play, you could direct a play, or you could write a academic paper, which, I mean, who's going to write the academic paper? But um, <laughs> someone did, I'm sure. But I decided, because I'm an overachiever, um, I decided to write and direct a play. Um, and there's a whole story involved with that because it wasn't my initial plan. My initial plan was just to direct. And then a week before I was going to present to the department and my, you know, all of my professors, um, I got word that I got denied the right to the play that I had applied for. And I had nothing. I had a week out, absolutely nothing. And so I thought, all right, uh, I got to write a play. What else am I going to do? I mean, I, I don't want to write the academic paper, let's be honest. And I've never written a play before, but I've read a ton and I have a story that I want to tell. And so I locked myself in my dorm for four days and I wrote my first play. That It must and have I, felt like you were stuck in like a revolving door or something. <laughs> Whoa, that was good. 
you you have done your research for those of you who don't know the play was called revolving door uh yes thank you simon <laughs> great great Thank little piece God of knowledge exists. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's so funny because if if i had done it maybe like 10 years later there would be video out there which i'm kind of happy there isn't video of it because i was in a performance of it at one point which i'll get to uh so i'm happy that the whole internet can't watch that but um but yeah, uh, so I wrote a play and I presented it. Uh, I had to put a whole plan together of how I was going to direct it and launch it into a French theater because we didn't, we had to mount a production in a French theater in London for three weeks in order to pass and get our masters. Uh, anyway, so I presented it and my mentor didn't know I was writing a play because he thought I had gotten, you know, I was on my way to getting the rights to this other already written play. Uh, and so I showed up and I presented and afterwards he said to me, he's like, I was on pins and needles the whole time. Uh, cause I didn't tell him because I just, I don't know. I think I was scared. I was nervous that he was going to be like, you can't present something that you've just spent four days writing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so he said to me at the end, separately away from the rest of the team of professors, he said, okay, so have you been, how long have you been writing this? And I had to lie. And I said, well, you know, I've been writing it for a few months now. It wasn't always my backup plan, just in case I didn't get the rights. Uh, and yeah, so I ended up mounting the production, Revolving Door. And it was all about singles, uh, going on dates, having luck and loss and love. Uh, it starts, the first act is three different blind dates happening in the same restaurant at the same time. And you've got these vignettes of these three blind dates and then everything kind of goes haywire. And then you get to travel with these characters and see what happens to them over a space of time for acts two and three. Uh, and I just, I poured my heart and soul into it. It was um, just, again, it was a, a moment for me, sort of this, this, massive change in my life of realizing I can do this. I can write, I can direct, I can produce. Um, you know, I was this 21 year old kid. I had a crew, I had actors that I was in charge of, I was leading, um, you know, and all the actors were older than me. Most of them were RADA graduates. They were so talented. They elevated the play and we really workshopped it, you know, because I, I wrote um, only one American character. The rest were all British. And, you know, I'd been obviously around all Brits, right? I was the only American. So I had been around Brits at that point for nine, 10 months. And so the vernacular and the colloquialisms and the slang and everything were like very much in my brain, but I wanted it to be as real and genuine as possible. So the actors definitely elevated it. Uh, and long story short, because I know you guys don't have like four hours for me to talk about this, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but in my third week of the production, and we sold out that third weekend, um, a man came up to me during intermission of my second to last performance, and he said, look, this is my second time seeing your show. I love it. Um, I'm taking um, productions up to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival, and I have a theater that's empty, and it's yours. Uh, but the kicker is that uh, you have three weeks. Um, your two-hour show has to be 50 minutes. So you have to rewrite it and cut it down to 50 minutes. Um, and that meant I had to not only rewrite, um, I had to recast because, you know, you've got to be able to 
um, have your actors leave their lives for a month to go to the festival. You know, you have to be there for a full month and not everybody can do that. I couldn't pay them. I'm a 21 year old kid, like with financing this out of my own pocket. Um, and then I had to find a place for us to live, which all of this seems completely impossible. And, and I always just looked at everything as a challenge. And I was so excited by the opportunity that I was not going to let anything stop me. So I found a place for us to live. It was a two bedroom apartment. There were seven of us living there. It was like real world Edinburgh. We were all just like slammed into an apartment together. Um, I had to rewrite, re-rehearse, and then I ended up playing a part in it because there was only one American character. And for the original production, I found this incredible actress who basically was just uh, doing an amazing impression of me, like had my literally my accent down so perfect you thought she was American um, and almost like my twin sister it was a little bizarre but for the new version of it it was just too fast and, and too much to like find somebody and so I was like you know what I'll just play it so I was in it um, and yeah we took it up there it was incredible we had a month-long um, experience that I will never forget and sold out a bunch of performances towards the end and you know it's I don't know if you guys have been to the festival before uh the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or Festival Fringe as those who know it um uh but yeah it's 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 a slog I mean it's it's so incredibly exciting but every day you have to go out they have sort of this like open square and you have to fight for your audience you have to pass out flyers and convince people to come and see your show because there's so many options. Uh, and, and so we'd go out and we'd improvise um, this whole dating game every single day to get people to come and watch us and get excited about our show. And, and then you want people to come and review you because the higher reviews you have, obviously then people start talking about your show and they want to come see it. So anyways, it was just, it was great. Um, and I left that experience thinking, okay, like if I can do that, I can do anything. Like it seemed impossible and I achieved it and I, exceed, I excelled at it. Uh, and then my visa was up because I was on a student visa for my master's. And so I had to come back to the US, even though um, I probably would have stayed in the UK forever if I could. I just, I loved it. I love London. Um, but we're I had to always, come back. We're actually always trying to leave, aren't we, Don? <laughs> right? <laughs> the grass is so, always greener. <laughs> I, would, I would say maybe we could meet in the middle, but the middle yeah. is like a lot of ocean. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah, can't yeah. really do that. <laughs> no, I guess for us, the middle is probably New York. So that might be okay since I'm in LA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I came back to LA and I won't give you like the whole long drawn out story, but eventually, you know, worked my way up did a million different assisted jobs. For seven years, I was an assistant, um, making no money, uh, just learning the ropes and developing relationships with people and um, really understanding, you know, how everything worked on the writer side of, of TV specifically. And then got my first gig as a staff writer on Castle. Actually wrote a freelance script when I was an assistant and then ended up getting staffed on the show, which staff just means you become like a full-fledged writer on the show. Uh, yeah, and that's where I got my start. Um, and it's just been a wild ride ever since. But we don't have to, I'm sure your listeners would rather have me talk about Three Ninjas than crazy stories about being on castle set and all that. Well, they, they, don't get, they don't get to choose, we do, so it's fine. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we, we, this is kind of, this is, tends to be our format, is we like to find out about people's careers because uh, we are just generally interested in, 
you know Hollywood and the way that it works and the behind the scenes stuff as well and it's also nice to get a rounder view of you as an individual so then when we go back to the free ninjas it's like it's like we already know you you know right I would just say that it's no surprise that you have had such a successful career because of it sounds of how determined and dedicated you've been and going the extra mile so I think it's also just really interesting to hear because it's like inspirational to that that's what it takes I guess to be so successful when you had a unique opportunity of being you know the only American person selected etc so you made the most of it so I think it was really interesting so thank you for telling me oh good thank you but we yeah I've never been to Edinburgh Fringe or Fringe Edinburgh have have you been Dom? No I've never been Uh, a friend of mine has has gone a couple of times and he he's a stand-up comedian and writes his own show but he's not had a chance to put his own show on there yet he he hopes to one day um just not sure when obviously if it's going to be on this year or not probably not probably Probably not not. that's huge crowds um Mm. yeah just to think about that is mind-blowing um you you touched on it a little bit earlier because um when you said about the reviews because knowing a little bit about it is the reviews are huge so did you get varied reviews or did you no we got we we got good yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, yeah, we got really, we got like four star reviews. It was, yeah, it was really crazy. I mean, I ended up getting a lit agent out of it because um, our our show had so much buzz, um, and I thought, okay, this is this is it for me, right? I'm just gonna end up getting a job working in London as a writer. Either you know, maybe get to have a show on the West End, or I mean, that's a huge dream, right? Or at least you know, maybe get staffed on a TV show, um, Doctors or something in the UK. Um, EastEnders. It's all about EastEnders. EastEnders, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And it it works so so much differently there than it does here. I mean, they don't really have a writing staff. They they sort of just, um, they freelance out scripts. Um, So it it just works differently. But, But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was a race between like when my visa was gonna run out and if I was gonna get a writing gig and I just didn't get a writing gig that could keep me in the UK and I wasn't making any money and you know financial issues um sort of caught me and sent me on home uh yeah but you know I I think I think again it it gave me that push that I needed uh because I this is the first thing I'd ever written I mean there's a version of the story where it's shit right (laughs) no one likes it (laughs) I'm like all right back to the drawing board um but it definitely made me feel like okay I have a story and I have a voice and people are responding to it and they're identifying with it um there's a whole (laughs) uh someday I I have a feature version of this which maybe someday will get made. It's, it's been a spec, meaning it's been sort of a sample for me for a while. But um, one of the storylines in the play is an American girl, which was me, who, you know, is, is trying to figure out who she wants to be and, and where she fits into this world that is nothing like her. Uh, and she ends up meeting this guy who is a virgin who's waiting till marriage. And at the time, it was actually a very provocative story. It's not anymore because now it's been in the media so much and they've done a whole season of The Bachelor about it. Um, But then it was really provocative. And I think um, my 
you know, my voice is really telling the story from a female perspective of like, this is, this is a show about sex. It's a show about sex. It's a show about love and relationships and I'm progressive and I'm a feminist and I'm going to tell you what it's really like to be a woman in a relationship. And I think people really responded to it. And that's what I've tried to do for the whole rest of my career. I mean, obviously I've written a lot of cop shows, um, which is something I'm wrestling with now with everything that's going on. And I think I've always tried to infuse um, humanity and um, a female voice uh, into all the shows that I've worked on. I've been really lucky. You know, Castle had a very strong female character in Beckett. Um, CSI Cyber was led by Patricia Arquette. Um, and so, you know, and Blindspot, the most recent big show I was on, obviously Jane Doe is one of the most iconic female characters right now in terms of like her strength and her complexity. Um, and so writing for those characters has been very meaningful for me. Uh, but I feel like I need to do more. That's a whole other, whole other podcast. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the burning sort of desire in me is that I know I have all of these stories I want to tell and I will get to a point where I can hopefully sell my own show and tell those stories and have it be spread to a wider audience than was just able to see my, my little play in London and Edinburgh. But that's where this really all started for me, this career of being a writer and a producer and um, yeah, I've just been super lucky. That, that's awesome. I've got a couple side questions that I have to ask now. Because, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so what would, uh, if, if you could name, all right, three questions, okay? okay. Two, two of them are quick and one's a bit longer. The, okay. the, the, the longer one is, what is your goal? Like as in what would be your ideal place you want to end up in your career or take it to? And what TV show that's current, that's present, do you wish you could come and do like a guest on, like a, write a guest episode or something? All right, in terms of career goals and, you know, where I want to be, I think like five years out, 10 years out, you know, my, my ultimate goal is to be a showrunner, is to have my own show and to get to tell my story and uh, produce television that I feel really passionate about. And I'm working towards that goal right now. It's something that I, you know, I work on every day. I have multiple projects that I'm developing. Uh, and then really, if I want to manifest the ultimate, ultimate goal, right? I'm going to say it out loud. Maybe it'll actually happen. Uh, and this goes into answering the other part of your question, which I've been avoiding, but now I'm going to answer it, which is, you know, what television show would I want to work on now? And it actually all comes back to one person, which is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I'm an enormous fan. I love everything she's done. Uh, I just think Fleabag is genius and deserved all of the accolades and all the awards and everything. I've watched it maybe five times all the way through. I'm a super fan, for sure. Uh, and so with Phoebe, you know, she is a powerhouse, right? She performs, she acts, she directs, she does, she produces, uh, she writes, she does, she created the show. Uh, and, and I think in an interesting way, not that I'm gonna compare myself to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but she is also a RADA graduate. She got her start in theater. She's a performer at heart. That's where she started as being an actor, just like I did. And she realized that she had a story that she could only tell. She was the only one who could tell the story. And she was also struggling getting parts that she felt resonated with her and, and that you know she was excited about. So she thought, okay, well, I'm just gonna write it for myself, right? I'm just gonna create 
the show that I want to be in and the part that I want to play. And so if I want to talk about what my ultimate goal is, yeah, I mean, that's it, right? I would love to be the showrunner, be a performer in the show, get to direct at a certain point. I mean, all of those things are passions for me. And I felt early in my career that I needed to choose writing as a way of just having a focus, getting in, hopefully being successful. But I'm really, you know, I, I have to be optimistic. I have to think big picture. And, you know, Tina Fey, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like these are people who who manifested these, these big goals, these big dreams. Uh, and I hope that I can also do that as well. We'll see. Well, it seems like you're more than well on the way to doing that. <laughs> so I'm sure it would be at no one's surprise to, to see you there. So yeah thanks that's great but you also haven't answered the question though so what tv show would you like to write on that's current of course never got to the actual answer to your question uh yeah okay so bringing it back to phoebe waller bridge which was the whole reason i brought her up in the first place so clearly fleabag is over sad devastated um and by the way, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, if you're listening to this, I would just love to do like a coffee Zoom date with you, pick your brain. <laughs> no, but really. Uh, so she also created Killing Eve, uh, which is a phenomenal TV show. And so that is my answer, right? I, I would love to work on one of her projects. And um, Killing Eve is something that uh, I think fits in my wheelhouse. I feel very connected to the characters. I love the fact that she created these dynamic leads uh, who you get to see all of their flaws, all their idiosyncrasies, and you fall in love with them. You fall in love with them, uh, even though, you know, Villanelle is a psychopath and murders people in the show, but she has a humanity to her. She has a vulnerability to her, and there's a way to relate to, you know, both of these characters in a way that is surprising. And I think, you know, Phoebe has sort of pushed me in my own writing to dig deeper, to a little bit, be a little bit more raw and, and real and tell some dark truths. And I think that's something that I struggled with early on in my career is trying to, you know, get to a place that might be a little scary at first, because when you write, you pour your heart, soul, blood, sweat, tears, like everything is on that page. And it, it's very scary and vulnerable to send that out in the world and not know what the response is going to be. And Phoebe was just fearless. Fleabag is fearless. And it just resonated with me so much and it inspired me. And so I'm hoping that anything I do, you know, that I can live up to that, that very high standard that she has set. Uh, so did I answer? I think I answered your question. This time. <laughs> you got it. You answered. I got it. I got it. And then who knows, hopefully at some point, yeah, your pods will, will, uh, will intersect. And then, yeah, that collaboration can, can be real. So, yeah, well, I would, I would die for that. <laughs> hopefully we can, we can reach out. Let's, let's send her a message. Yes. Can you? Yeah, let's, <laughs> Please. let's try it. Why not? In the world of Simon uh, sending absolutely everyone messages right? across social media, I'm, I'm sure we can send a message and say, We've spoken to, to Kate Sargent. She's a big fan. She's also a like, big writer over in the US and wants to, you know, collaborate or, or do something. So why not? Yeah. She has the a life. huge deal at Amazon. So, you know, at some point, 
maybe she'll want to collaborate on a project. Absolutely. And I would love to be the person she collaborates with. I'm sure every single writer is saying that right now, but uh, <laughs> I, I just, um, I think that our, our backgrounds are just very similar and that we would have a just, you know, a bond based upon uh, some of our, our experiences, both being at RADA and being actors and, and parlaying that into a writing career, so. What TV show from the past do you wish you ha would have been able to write on? That was an immediate for me, my so-called life. 100%. Uh, I wish I'd written on that show. It's just, I've it never, meant a lot to me. <gasps> You've never heard, heard of it. it. Okay, so it, I will say, it only lasted for a season, but it, for the generation of kids who were um, fans and who watched it, it, it really changed what TV could be. Um, it was about a girl who was in high school who happened to be the same age as me when I watched the show. So I think that's really what resonated with me. Uh, and she's just a high school girl going through all the trials and tribulations of what it really means to be a high school girl. And not in the 90210 version, and nothing wrong with 90210, love that show too, but there was just a grittiness and a realness and she was imperfect and she was flawed and she was struggling. And it was for any 14 year old, you're like, yeah, that, that's what it's like to be a freshman in high school. That's exactly what it's like to be in high school. Although I think she was a sophomore, sophomore in high school. But um, yeah, so check it out. It's streaming somewhere. It's brilliantly written. It is honestly one of the best written shows that's ever been on television. Okay. Uh, and, and I think it just inspired me to tell stories exactly like that, just from a place of truth and honesty and to tell the dark and dirty because we all have that in our lives and um we all can relate to it and yeah it's just it's brilliant so definitely check it out um claire danes it was the first movie claire danes jared leto um were the big stars of it and before they were you know they weren't they were just regular kids it was the first thing i think both of them maybe claire danes had been working for a while but it was their first sort of big break and jared leto i think was discovered because of my so-called life so um yeah, it's one of the best romances, teenage romances ever to be on television. Check it out. I'm a huge fan, obviously. And then, okay, show right now. That's such a big question. I really have to think about it. Um, oh, I mean, right. there were shows. What? what were you you think I was going to buy okay. you a couple seconds to buy think me about some it. seconds. Dom, Dom have, you, have, you, have you seen that show? No. No, unfortunately yeah. not. No, sorry. It might, maybe it's something that wasn't like so prevalent in the UK, but I, I will, I will check it out. One thing that I, I wear it on my sleeve as a badge of honor is, I am one the only person that I know anyway that is a really big fan of One Tree Hill, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's some it's a show that sounds well maybe similar and maybe not similar because it's probably <laughs> very different <laughs> levels. But I thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Would you write on One Tree Hill, Simon, if you could? I I am One Tree Hill. Well, you are. So you're, you're, right, you're living it. I am. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I think that's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a show that's, it's now, it recently, or in a couple of years ago, came under some controversy. Um, mm, it did. Mm -hmm. With the Me Too movement. Um, so. Yeah, the showrunners. Not a great guy. Which is really hard because then yeah. it's, it, 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 it taints the show, right? It taints right. it for you. 
and this and we talked about this on the podcast as well actually in terms of uh like how how that can affect the the finished product because mm, you've so many mm. things that like harvey weinstein ha- has worked on that are like movies that we love you know basically every tarantino film for example um but it's like you don't want to be paying in and supporting you know horrible right. people uh right. so yeah. it's it's a difficult one it's like every um kevin spacey film we've kind of just overlooked <laughs> We've just moved past them just for now because it's not really worth it. But you can't, and then he'll pop up in a movie that you forget he was in, and you'll be like, yeah. "Oh, I think I, I think I have to turn it off now. <laughs> I don't think I can finish watching this anymore." Yeah, you don't get to see what's in the box in seven. So, nope, nope, gotta stop for that. Dom, I need to ask you. I thought you was phrasing for a second there, but you. <laughs> no, I'm just listening. What, Dom? What? Uh, well. I have, I have, you know, Kate, that Dom is, uh, was an actor at some point. I bring it up on every podcast. Oh, has a drama degree. Sorry, Dom, but I'm trying to make you shine, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get me a job. You get the choice. Okay, Dom, you can tell us a uh, TV show that you would, you wish you had starred in as the lead, or would you rather be an actor, a writer? No, I'm going to put you as a, you're going to be the actor. Tell me a TV show from the past you wish you had starred in. I can tell you one from now. Go, go. Uh, well, uh, how far in the past do I have to go? Anywhere. Anywhere. Um, I'd, I'd love to do something like Porridge. Porridge would be great. Are you familiar with Porridge, Kate? So Porridge is a... Um, a comedy show over well, a comedy sitcom sort of series set in a prison. Ah. Um, uh, two, like uh, one very famous sort of English comedian that was a prisoner um, called Ronnie Barker, who sadly passed away quite a few years ago now. Mm. And uh, it was a show years ago, like in the seventies. So um, I think it's fantastic. It's quite timeless. So it's still funny now. Uh, I think I'd love to be in that. But if I was going to be in anything now, um, still on the same sort of theme of sort of cops and robbers, it would be Line of Duty. Oh. Love it. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> so I'd be I'd be in that. That would be my choice. Nice, nice. No one's no one's asked, but I'm going to tell you mine. So <laughs> yes, tell us, tell us, Simon. <laughs> I would. Well, I have some I have some conditions though on my uh, my wait. Is it a rider or a writer? Rider, rider. With a D. Uh-huh. Of course, my rider. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I, I, I would be cast as uh, Lucas in One Tree Hill, but, but Kate. <laughs> you really are a fan, okay. Kate, but... you have to be the showrunner. I love you, Simon. I love that answer. <laughs> we'll change his Done. Done. <laughs> but if not that, then I'd be Jack from Lost. Yeah. I can tell I see all your last DVDs. Are those DVDs of mine? Oh, no. These are um, not are toys. Those? You could call them action figures. Action figures. But action figures. Basically, this is a small little, this is like a home office at the front of my house. And okay. um, my wife allows me to do what I want in this room. So it's all just crammed <laughs> in this one little room. The rest of the house is very normal. So okay. <laughs> just make just the most quickly. of it. I just, I think we already know. So we've talked about programs that we'd either like to, so for Kate, write on, for us, act on. I think we all know what film we'd want to act in. 
and what characters would play. Well, please tell so, me. So uh, I already know that I would be Tum Tum in The Three okay. Ninjas. Yeah. And Simon would be... Well... <laughs> uh, uh, I had to do it. I'm sorry, I had to. Uh, um, so to give a little bit of backstory here. So, <laughs> so Dom and I watched, and it brings it perfectly back to Three Ninjas, which, by the way... Just, uh, just put it up here. Oh, yeah. yay! Unfortunately, you didn't make the cover art. I know. Well, I'm not really one of the three ninjas, so it makes sense. Well, makes Dom, sense. Dom has a whole theory, actually, about really? how it, without you, you saved the day. But he'll get to that, I'm sure. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so, Dom, so... Three Ninjas came out in 92. Dom and I are 32. So uh, it came out when, well, we're almost 33. So it came out when we were like five. So we uh, loved this film so much. In fact, I used to travel to school with the VHS cassette in my backpack <laughs> because I used to have to go to a, a childminder after school, uh, like babysitter childminder. And uh, so I'd get there and I'd be like, cool. And I'd just put the video in and watch the Three Ninjas. So, and then Dom would come over to my house and we'd, you know, like the weekend the sleepovers and stuff. And we would just watch it religiously. We'd go in the garden and we'd, we'd play as Three Ninjas. Dom was always Tum Tum. I was always Rocky. That was my thing. But actually it got so far that my dad actually told this story at my wedding uh, <laughs> that when I was about six or seven years old, I sat my parents down in the living room and I said, okay, I don't want you to call me Simon anymore. My name is Rocky and I will not <laughs> respond unless you call me Rocky. And then I went upstairs later that day, it was time for dinner and my mum was shouting up the stairs, Simon, Simon, just ignored her. So she came up the stairs, so I was calling you, what, what are you doing? And I said, I told you, my name is Rocky. <laughs> so there you go so <laughs> i love that story so much i'm sure you are not alone i'm sure there are many other boys who did the same thing so don't <laughs> i'm sure that was that was amazing i'm what? so um so just the fact that it had that big of an impact i mean we can we can talk about it more um but yeah i mean it's 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 traveled with me my whole life uh, in really interesting ways. I mean, I even up until like my late 20s, I would be recognized as Emily from Three Ninjas. I would have people come up to me in the street. Okay, now you guys actually have to do it. I'm not going to do it. There's a um, something that the boys say about Rocky and Emily. Are you guys going to do it or are you going to make me do Rocky it? Loves Emily. Loves Rocky, Rocky loves Emily. Rocky loves Emily. And the little dance. Yeah. Rocky. And the little dance. So yeah, I, would, I, I was studying abroad in college in Florence and Italian young men came up to me going, Rocky loves Emily. I mean, nice. and just to know that it had traveled like around the world that far and had that big of an impact. And then even as I got older, it, because men your age started having kids and then they would introduce the movie to their children. So now there's a whole new generation of kids who are watching it. And so that's, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's just, um, I'm so grateful and so lucky that I got to be part of it. And uh, it was just such a, a, 
an interesting moment in time. I mean, again, to sort of bring everything kind of full circle. Um, okay, this is an exclusive, although it may, may people know about this. Do you know there's two different versions of the movie? Do you guys right. know that? Kate, this is, okay. it's like you're part of our podcast, like, this okay. because this is very, it's very interesting that Dom has only seen one version and, oh. and I had only ever seen the, the one version as well. And then when I rewatched it a couple nights ago, it was the first time ever that I saw the, like the uncut version and it was yes. like watching a different film. Yes. Like, and I've been waiting, I've been, I told Dom, <laughs> I said to Dom, I said, you cannot watch it because I want to tell you some of this stuff on the podcast. So right. Dom, this is going to blow your mind. Yes. In th this other version where grandpa kills a guy. No. Shut up. <laughs> Just full on like sword to the chest sort of thing. No, he, he throws he a knife. Yeah. Wow. Thought, but I thought, Simon, you were going to bring up the biggest twist of the original version that isn't in the one that you know, Dom, which is the boys actually lose the basketball game to the boys. Uh, but, okay, so Kate, there's, still, there's no. so much more to go into. But that, so much more. It, including the, the scene at the end with, that yeah. you're in that's not in. But, 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 yeah. but wait, but wait, before we get there, because we've got to <laughs> unpack all of this. Yeah. Uh, the... the <laughs> Look at Dom's face. He's like, I'm in an alternate reality. What is happening? <laughs> this is so wrong. They can't lose. They, they went, they, they were so know. cocky. They we'll give you absolutely. Nine. <laughs> He's got nine. Original... We've got nothing. We'll be here. <laughs> Cole in the even original gets a bloody version. Nose. He, he does. It's violent. Yeah. Well, there's, so there's a load to say, to say on that, but I just wanted to just quickly touch on, you were saying about the power of the movie and, so Dom and I, we've known each other, like we said, from when we were like like four or five years old, something like that. And, uh, but there was a- A long time. <laughs> Dom, you don't sound- you I know, that doesn't sound like he was happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, but there was, there was a period where we went to, went to different schools like later in life where we were still always in contact, but uh, like we weren't as close as we were when we were kids. And we've reunited this bromance through our, uh, through our podcast. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but, but something that has always connected us is even if I hadn't spoken to Dom for like a year or so, we would just text each other things like Rocky loves Emily or Dom would always text me with light up the eyes and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of been something that it is, it is special to so many people. I mean, something that attributes to that. So it had a budget of 2.5 million, but made back 29 million, which yeah. is an amazing wow. turn, turn back. Jesus. Yeah, just in terms of the success of Three Ninjas, uh, even after it left the theaters. So it made over $100 million between 1992 and 1997. Wow. And yeah, isn't that crazy? And, yes. and, and part of that goes back to what you were saying, Simon, about how you carried your you know, VHS tape with you. Um, whenever you know you had after school care and, and so so many kids wanted that VHS tape and you know watched it until it didn't work anymore and all of that uh, and so that's where a lot of that that money came from is, is kids you know wanting the VHS tape and 
and that's kind of where the cult fan following, I think, really started. Uh, and then a couple other things. So um, Three Ninjas was Disney's number one action movie in 1992. Um, it was also the number one movie that entire year uh, when you look at cost versus revenue, which is pretty amazing. Considering That's massive, a, yeah. Right? <laughs> Okay, so the last little piece of trivia, which you may or may not know. So Karate Kid, they re-released the DVDs in like the early 2000s. And so Disney decided to re-release the Three Ninjas in DVDs, which Simon might be why you have a different version of it, possibly. Um, but the cool part about this is that Three Ninjas actually outsold Karate Kid in DVDs between the years of 2003 and 2005. That's crazy. Wow. Isn't that nuts? That's, awesome. That's so yeah. good. That is Pretty crazy. Cool fan base. Yeah. <laughs> really, really amazing fan base. I was just going to say, I think you're saying it, um, you know, we were talking about John Turtletop saying it was massive for him and that it led him to cool runnings and stuff like that. And then obviously it would have been with that, with that take, with the takings that it had. So only yeah. spending two and a half million and then getting, did you say nearly 30 million back? That's mad. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and also remember, so it was produced by four independent producers who had no connection to a studio. They self-financed it. And then once it was completed, they sold it as a completed movie to Touchstone Pictures, which is associated oh. with Disney right now. There is no Touchstone, but then it was sort of Disney's sort of independent um, arm of their company. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, again, like when I talked about this, I sort of, you know, got on the phone with my parents the other day because their experience of this, obviously, as adults was a little bit different than mine. Um, but, you know, when I was casting it and when during production, they don't, I mean, they think this is going to go straight to video. No one's ever going to see this. If it even ever sees the light of day, right? I mean, so many times little movies are made and it gets shelved and there's no money to put it out. And um, so we didn't know if we'd ever see any of this come to light and then for it to end up in a national theatrical release and be a huge hit and be in theaters for months and months I mean it it was mind-blowing it really was um and just the experience of getting to go and sit in a theater and listen to people laugh and love it and sing Rocky Loves Emily on their way out of the theater and know that that was something that, you know, I contributed to and I was a part of. And um, yeah, I don't know, it just, and I've had so many people say to me that it defined their childhood, just like you guys are saying, that it just was this movie that, you know, brought friendships together and had lasted the span of, you know, the test of time, just like for you guys, um, that it's a bedrock of your friendship. And to have a movie that does that, it's so rare. And to get to be a part of that, uh, yeah, I, again, I'm just so grateful. Well, I mean, to, and that's, that's awesome. Again, I'm getting lost in just observing the conversation and not thinking of words because I'm so, <laughs> I'm so interested. Well, no, okay, can I, tell, can I tell you the, like, the history of why there's two different versions of the movie? Well, that, I, that's exactly what I was going to ask. So uh, let's talk about why there are two versions of Three Ninjas. And this is something that touches on uh, a moment in LA history that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which were the LA riots or the LA uprising in 1992. And just to give context, a little bit of history. So uh, the Rodney King beating happened in 1991. 
four officers were arrested and charged with assault and various crimes. And then they went on trial. And the trial happened in 1992. In April was when it ended. And, uh, you know, they were acquitted, which was horrific because we had all watched the video. We all watched them beat Rodney King and commit crimes. And so it just sent shockwaves through Los Angeles for all of the reasons that it's happening now with George Floyd. And so for six days, there was, you know, mass protests and there, you know, there was looting and violence and, um, you know, a lot of the things that we saw at the beginning of this uprising for George Floyd. I lived in Los Angeles at the time. I have some memories of it. Um, but, you know, going back and, and doing some reading and, and re-looking at it, you know, 63 people were killed in those six days. Um, almost, you know, 2,400 people were injured. 12,000 people were arrested. The property damage estimates at $1 billion of damage. So, you know, it was a very intense and scary time. Well, they were about to, they were going to release three ninjas in a couple months, a few months. I don't know exactly the time frame, but they had to kind of relook at it because as you were saying, Simon, it is a lot more violent, the, the director's cut. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but there's a scene where the surfer dudes are in the convenience store um, and there's an Asian man behind the counter. And then the, the second version of the movie, it's much less violent than in the first. In the first, they actually shoot the bottles behind him. Uh, and it just brought up... Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> I'm pointing because I told I said to Dom the other day before doing this, I said yeah. I said, Dom, in the version you just watched, did they actually fire the gun? And he was like, No, they pointed the gun, but they didn't fire it. Yeah. There's so much even the sound effects are different. The sound effects are different. They they made it much more of a kid movie, much lighter. They took out a lot of the it's still, you know, it's still people kicking and punching and doing karate and they're still all of that. Um, but they took out a lot of the, uh, the more serious violence. Um, so, so that got tempered. And then, so then the big thing that they had to figure out, which is why the story changed so much is that, um, Dom, this is going to blow your mind. Ready? And the final scene of the original movie, so they lose the basketball game, right? And then you have to have a final scene to sort of reconcile that. And the final scene of the movie, you know, we're all walking, we don't have our bikes because they've all been taken by the bullies and we run into the bullies. And it's me and the three ninjas, Colt, Tum Tum, and Rocky. And I, you know, have been telling Rocky the whole movie, like, stop showing off, the whole thing. And then this moment I say to him, like, show off, like, kick their ass, basically in a way that you could say yes. 11 and and so in that final scene of the movie rocky completely destroys the main bully he just like takes him down the whole fight sequence and all the rest of the bullies run away and we get our bikes back and we all ride off in the sunset together and it was just beautiful you know it was a beautiful moment in terms of just like us being the heroes and you know getting our bikes back and me and Rocky, like having this sort of this moment together. But um, having a white kid beat up a black kid at the end of this movie, due to Rodney King and everything that had happened, they absolutely couldn't have that as the final scene of the movie. It would have, it would have changed the course of Three Ninjas history. Let's just say that. It would have, um, it would have never been what it is now. So they're like, we have to cut that whole last scene of the movie there was no really way to tell that story 
in that scene without having that fight scene, that, you know, that fight between them. And so they decided the best thing to do was to just recut it. So they had to open the movie back up. John had to go in and they had to recut the basketball scene so that the boys won. So that they basically ended that that storyline in that scene, which is what you know today, Dom, which is that they get the bikes back and they're victorious and they win. Um, and so, yeah, the history, you know, dictated for all the right reasons that that's what needed to happen. And so when the movie came out in the movie theaters, you know, obviously there was a part of me that was sad that the final scene wasn't there. Um, completely selfishly, obviously I understood why 100% <laughs> and support it 100%. But, um, you know, you're waiting for that final scene. And I remember actually being in the movie theater because they didn't tell us that they recut the movie, right? So you're in the movie theater, we, they screened it for the cast and crew and we get to the basketball scene. And I remember going, wait, I don't remember them winning the basketball game. That's so weird. <laughs> And then obviously it made sense on the flip side. Um, so yeah, so that's the version that ended up being in the movie theaters. That was, you know, the big success that it was on all the VHS tapes that were sold after. And then honestly, I don't know how it happened. And I came into contact and had a, a relationship with Martha Chang, who was one of the producers of the original Three Ninjas. Uh, and I asked her, I said, how did the second or the original cut get released? And she doesn't really know how it happened either, by the way. It feels like, honestly, what happened, this is my conspiracy theory. I don't have any, there's no facts behind this, guys, okay? But, like, I think at some point, a fan like you guys found that there was this version of the movie that existed. And I think they just decided to put it on HBO because that's the first place it, it was. When I remember, I had a TiVo. This is back in the day before there was DVR. Like the only way to record something other than a VHS tape, the first thing was like the TiVo, right? And we had HBO. And I remember like, oh, like Three Ninjas came on and we were, we were like, oh, let's TiVo it. And we're watching it. And I realized it's a totally different version of the movie. It's the original version that we shot. And since, I know, it's, it is nuts. And oh, by the way, I think... Um, I don't know if it's still there, but for a while, Hulu launched um, a bunch of movies, and they had Three Ninjas, and I think they launched the director's cut version of it, so you can find it there. It's also on YouTube, Dom, if you're looking for it. Um, it was, in, anyways, in its entirety, the, the director's cut version of it. I think I it's still even, there, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, even John Turtletop has no idea how it happened. Like, none of us really, it, it's a sort of mythical thing. Like, no one really understands how it got released, you know? <laughs> so, well, this, this, right, this version is, uh, is a DVD version. Um, and I, this is, they don't sell this in, you know, in America to the UK, there's different regions of DVDs yeah. and they don't yeah, actually yeah. sell the free ninjas on DVD. So I bought this and got it shipped over like years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, have you heard of Plex? You know Plex? Yes. It's I basically so. like, you can basically, you rip DVDs and Blu-rays <laughs> and you make your own Netflix basically, but it's just for okay. your own house. Um, right. It's legal, don't worry. Okay, I was like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> But I, so I, I ripped the DVD for, for my Plex and then I, I've seen the movie so many times, uh, but I just hadn't watched it 
since. And uh, but this was the version I watched. So it's actually this is the director's cut is the DVD version. Oh, amazing! So maybe amazing. that when they released it to DVD. They, yeah, they. Yes, I know they re-released. It's interesting though because I have that same DVD, but from a previous version of when they released the DVD. That's the the cut for the the original version um so but then i think they ended up re-releasing dvds because there has shockingly again this this little movie has has just spanned the test of time but um they re-released dvds which i think is is why you have a different version of it uh, and i think that there was such a when people saw that version of it, I think there were so many views on YouTube and people were like clamoring for it that I think they were like, all right, I guess we'll just release it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a whole, it's a whole fascinating behind the scenes trivia about the show, it's about the movie that is it's so interesting. Well, it's also, there. there is a, a massive void in things like this of people talking about this movie in terms with, with cast, etc. And, and we'll get on to that because uh, all three of the, uh, of the, the ninjas, of the, the boys, now men, <laughs> yes. uh, always ninjas in our mind, of course, but uh, have sort of left acting. So I think maybe part of it is, is that. But I mean, has... I have you I couldn't find anything with like interviews and stuff but have you has anyone reached out before us for stuff like this yeah so there's there's a little bit more trivia for you um that nobody knows so exclusive let's get it um unfortunately it doesn't have the happy ending I wish it had but it, it will touch upon what you're asking so about oh my gosh was it three years ago I think it's maybe three years ago now it could be two years ago time is a flat circle but uh <laughs> about three years ago I was reintroduced as an adult as a writer to like I said Martha Chang who was one of the original producers of Three Ninjas um and she owns all of the rights um Disney does actually does not own the rights to Three Ninjas she does um, which is shocking and, you know now when you have a movie like this you have to basically like give away everything and uh, in order to get something made but she she's got the full rights and so we were talking uh, about developing it as a TV show um, and at the time we were talking about it you know we really wanted to reach out to the original cast and see if any of them were interested and um, so I kind of went on this crazy mission to find everybody uh, and I that's how I connected with Max so Max and I actually saw each other in real life. Um, we had a, a dinner with Lovely. Um, he's just such a great guy and it was really just kind of amazing to come back together. It was like nothing had changed, but everything had changed because obviously we were so much older and had lived so much life. And, um, but then we still had this bond of being part of this movie together and having it. And for him, I mean, you know, he was obviously in the sequels. And uh, so it, it, it lasted longer for him in terms of his involvement in the franchise. And, and, you know, he's such an iconic part of the movie uh, that he, you know, that traveled with him and, and still, you know, he still has people come up to him and when they find out, you know, just like I do, it, people like want to talk to you about the movie. They feel like they know you. They feel like you were one of their friends when they were kids. You know, there's just an immediate connection. Um, yeah. So it was great. It was great to catch up with him. And then Michael, 
Michael does not want to be found. If he ends up watching this, I would <laughs> I would love to connect with him. Uh, but he really left acting. I mean, you know, he was he was in the original, and then I think he was in one of the sequels. Uh, which ended up being, I think, the third movie, but they actually shot it as the second movie. Um, but the, the story about Michael, which I don't know if you guys know, is that he was not an actor. They found him in a karate studio. He was a black belt who they just, they saw him. And, you know, for all of the reasons you can imagine, he just has this charisma about him. Uh, they were like, okay, this is our Rocky. But the kid had never taken an acting class. Like everything you see him do in the movie is pure instinct. He was incredibly talented, but it wasn't the life. Like he was, again, to go back to this, like none of us thought this was going to be as big as it was, right? So I think he thought like, oh, it's a fun little thing where I get to, you know, use my karate skills and be on camera and have this crazy adventure and nothing will probably come of it. And then, I mean, girls would chase him in the streets. So it became huge for him. As you, you know, Simon, you weren't the only person who loved Rocky, right? I mean, there was just, a, there was a massive fan falling for him. And you know, to be thrust into fame like that when it's not part of, you know, he didn't have people in the entertainment industry and his family. He didn't really choose that life. I think it was different for me because I had chosen it. It was something that I wanted. It was something that I was striving for. He just kind of twist of fate ended up in it. And I, I shouldn't speak for him. Hopefully, maybe he'll speak on this someday. But just from like our friendship during the time of shooting and, and sort of, you know, how things played out after, I think it... it was something that he just was like, okay, you know what? That was an experience and I'm ready for something different. And, you know, cause he could have been huge. I think about it sometimes, like he could have been a massive, you know, famous A-list star. If he had it in him, he had the talent, he had the looks. Um, and he just, it wasn't for him. It wasn't the life that he wanted. I think he got a taste of it, um, of not being able to go to the grocery store, of not being able to like just go to his high school and be a normal kid. And um, I just think he decided, you know, it's for me. And so he left California. I mean, the last I really know that he moved, I think, to Massachusetts. Um, I think he's a psychologist potentially. Um, he may be back in, in California now, but I know for a while he was on the East Coast. Um, we think we found him at one point. Uh, we all reached out to him. I and, and he did respond to me, I will say. Like, he did reply. Um, now it's all coming back to me. So he, he, he is back in California. Um, and he did reply to me, and he was very sweet. Uh, but he just, he just doesn't have an interest in, in being part of this. And it's okay. I completely understand, you know, and we tried to have a reunion. I really wanted to get like all the boys together and just have a dinner. Like, I mean, no fanfare about it. Right. And, um, he just, he just wasn't really into it. And no, I mean, no fault. I, I get it. Right. I think, again, it was a part of his life that was this crazy adventure and he's ready for it to just be something that's in the past. Um, and then, you know, I talked to Chad who played Tum Tum, who also lives in Southern California and um, very, you know, sweet guy. I think he's a coach um, now for, uh, I think a high school football team. I could be wrong about that. Um, and so we all kind of chatted. I think we we're on like a Facebook thread together. I kind of connected all of us. And it was really nice. Look, it was nice to at least after all these years have some sort of communication um, and everybody's doing really well and everyone seems really happy. Um, and I, you know, I think I was hoping 
I think deep down I was hoping for more, right? I was hoping that maybe they'd want to attach themselves to the project or be involved in it in some way. Um, Cause I'm sure like how excited would you guys be if you found out that the original cast of Three Ninjas was going to be starring in a TV show about the adult versions of their characters? Well, yeah, Kate, I think I can speak on behalf of both of us and say very, very excited. I mean, right. one, one of my favorite current shows that I talk about all the time on this podcast is Cobra Kai, which... Uh, <laughs> which, which yeah, well, do you want to know something crazy? Is my last bosses were the creators of Cobra Kai, so I'm very intimately familiar with the show. I, I love Cobra Kai. It's, it's great. So, it's, it's great. It's so good. And you could imagine it following like, well, similar threads in terms of being able to, you know, continue on the story, but in a modern, you know, current day setting and potentially flip, flip it around and potentially, I don't know, yep. Tum Tum could be an antagonist somehow. And, you know, or, yep. I don't know. But the, so I, yeah. I won't, I won't give you too many details because it obviously didn't come to fruition. Unfortunately, this business is crazy, but uh, we yet. did take out it yet. Yeah. Well, it, it won't, it, it probably won't involve me if it does happen, but uh, we did take out. So Martha and I uh, teamed up. We also had another writer on board um, who was involved with Lost, Simon um, Hoffy Grillo Marswatch. I don't know if you know his name, but he won an Emmy for Lost. He was there, I think, the first two seasons, and he's a showrunner now. Um, he's just, he did um, The Dark Crystal for Netflix most recently. He's, just the best and uh he came on board and was attached to be the showrunner and i was going to be the writer uh and you know I, I to me it felt like the article for hollywood reporter wrote itself it was like you know girl who was an original emily from three ninjas is now creating a tv show version it's like how do you not buy that but anyway so we <laughs> we created a version of the show uh where you know all, it was based on all the original characters who had grown up. So it was Rocky, Coulson, Tum Tum, who are now in their 30s, and Emily, who's in her 30s too, uh, and like where kind of they are in their lives. Um, and now there's, you know, some of them have kids and, and sort of became this coming of age story for now that the new generation, their kids' generation, uh, finding out that their, you know, uncles and dads were ninjas. I mean, could you know, that's kind of a big thing to, to figure out about your family, that you come from a family of ninjas. Um, and at the point we join them in the story, none of them were pursuing it anymore. And then they kind of get thrust back into it again because of, you know, the family being under attack. Um, it's, you know, it was great. It was, I'm very sad. You know, we took it out. We took it everywhere. I won't name places because I have to protect my career here, but, um, and, and we had, look, we had every room we went into and pitched it. Every executive who sat there said, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I just like you guys, like I define my childhood. I can recite dialogue from it. Um, you know, just, it, it's something that I'm super excited about. And I, you know, because the business is so roller coaster up and down, I don't think we quite hit the tonal, um, mark that we needed to hit. I think we, you know, there's something about the movie that is so unique, which is that it's got this 
this great humor to it, right? With the surfer dudes and um, it just kind of plays tug and cheek with the genre in a great way. And I think we were trying to go too serious with it. I think we were trying to make it a little bit more soap opera, a little bit more elevated. Uh, and I think it just became sort of a tonal disconnect. So we walked in the room and I think they were expecting the tone of the original Three Ninjas. And we were like, it's dark, it's gritty. And they're like, I don't know. So if I could do it all over, if I could get in a time machine and go back, I think I would have lightened the tone. Um, also, you know, there was an evolution of it. So we, we took it out as a TV show and then we were trying to take it out as a, as a movie at one point. Uh, and at that point I centered it on a female 14 year old character. And I think when I finally did that, that's when I realized like, oh no, it always should have been this. The TV show should have been this. We were focusing so much on the adult Rocky, Colt, Tum Tum, and Emily characters that we forgot that the, the magic of the movie are the teenage and the preteen characters, right? That's what everybody connected to originally. That's what all of these executives sitting across from us, what they love so much about the movie. And I think you lost some of that magic by, by making it too much of an adult story. And so when I finally made it about this 14 year old girl who realizes that her dad is a ninja, I'm like, holy shit, like, what is that <laughs> going to mean for her and her life and her family? And um, then everything fell into place. It was like, oh, this is what the story is. And then by the time we really got to that moment, you know, we couldn't then circle back and take it back to all these places that had said no. Uh, so I wish, I really wish I could go back in time and do that version right from the start, lighten the tone a little bit, um, have it be, have that sort of preteen, teenage magic. Uh, and maybe, you know, someday, you know, because Martha has the rights and we're not working together anymore, you know, if she finds another writer, maybe they'll find a way to do it. Um, and I wish them the best of luck with it. I mean, obviously, I would love for there to be a resurgence, just like you said about Cobra Kai. Um, you know, I think there is a space and time where Three Ninjas needs to exist again. Uh, and I really wanted to be the person who could do that and could bring it back to life. And I had so many ideas for how to do it. And we were going to tell a very intricate and complex story uh, that I was very uh, inspired and excited to tell. But, you know, life is works in mysterious ways. So we'll do, you, do you know what? I'm, I just, not that I'm a writer or have, you know, necessarily the brain for this but what I would pitch would be Rocky and Emily's child is the protagonist is the one that is gonna be is, is gonna go somewhere it, it works out that um, the new Mrs Douglas um, is also a bit of a bit of a hero and um, saved yeah. the day uh, when they were younger and got, got her own bike back basically right. um, and, well, my uh, mom and, for Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I was just going to say that that it should be it should be Ro Rocky and Emily's uh, daughter that that works oh. out that that dad used to be a, a ninja yeah. and, uh, yeah. and mum's pretty tough too. So yeah, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that that could be a, a potential. <laughs> well, you you're going to make my mom really happy because my mom has been pitching since I was you know in college that there should be a version like Rocky Loves Emily the movie where it's just yeah. about sort of the love story of Rocky and Emily and um sort of the next chapter of their love story uh so she always wanted me to write that movie uh yeah so you know and and the Rocky and Emily relationship in the show that we were pitching was very integral I mean I, we had made a decision that they had actually had a romance 
had a serious relationship. There had been a betrayal. They had fallen out. They had gone their separate ways. And then everything that happens in the first episode brings them back together again. Because um, in this version, um, Emily's an FBI agent and she's gets sort of pulled in as they're fighting uh, something bigger than um, I can describe on this podcast. But, um, but anyways, she gets brought back in to Rocky's life. And then we get to, in real time, experience them rekindling this relationship. Because when we talked about it, and again, I don't have to spend a long time talking about something that's never going to happen. But, um, you know, the thing, because initially we thought, okay, should Rocky and Emily just be together? But I felt like, well, doesn't the audience want to experience it? I'm thinking of feel shortchanged that it all happened off camera, that they didn't actually get to be part of that journey. So to have them actually have to re-fall in love with each other as adults, um, find their way back to each other, figure out how to get through the hurt that happened in the past, uh, that just felt like a lot more storytelling to mine. Um, but anyways, it's all just in the ether now it's all in my brain <laughs> never to be seen but. Just, just any any excuse for emily to say stop showing off will be fantastic yes, right <laughs> exactly. I, I i can't lie my my mind is completely blown like that this actually is a thing and that there's like you've written like you know this out and you took it to offices and production oh it's yeah like, no i had a full outline of, of an entire feature version of the story okay yeah what i know we, it's what crazy. have we got to do for you to send us a copy of <laughs> you that guys, you know what you <laughs> okay. or, oh my gosh how, how do we buy the rights Right? Well, you, you got to get to Martha Chang is what you got to do. And you got to have a, a big check with a lot of zeros at the end, at the end of it. All right, so I mean, you could remortgage your house like, like three times. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to sell the jerseys, Dom, and we'll, we'll try. <laughs> well, that, well, worth it. That's actually an interesting segue uh, because so uh, these are Mighty Ducks stuff, which is also a movie that like defined my childhood. But the Mighty Ducks are being if i'm sure you probably know but disney plus are making a tv show of the mighty ducks yep. that's mm -hmm. and that's that's and this time the ducks are going to be like the antagonists etc so i think that there's a real sort of flavor and trend for bringing back these nostalgic you know late 80s early 90s movies so i think that yep. there's completely uh, an audience for it and like you said uh, people that are our age would 100% watch it. And then, you know, people our age with kids, uh, you know, introducing them to it. I think it would be amazing. And hopefully, you never know, there could be some fanfare from hearing you talk about it on the podcast that could, you know, spark its interest. And yeah. then also, you talking about trying to find uh, Rocky or Michael Trainer. Uh, I, to interweave, one of your other shows i tried to csi cyber myself to find right everything. <laughs> yeah that's basically what i did i i yeah we, we we did end up finding him it's so funny i i had blocked it out until i started talking about it just now but we did actually end up finding him um but yeah did how what was your what was your journey simon did you i, I couldn't well i couldn't find him i i yeah. I, I found um i found max and yeah and Chad, uh, yeah. I say their names like I know them, Max and Chad, you know. Right, um, you know. But I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get a response. I mean, the, the thing is, is we're also very aware that when we reach out to people that they probably, you know, you, you probably get requests for this stuff all of the time. Um, and 
you have no idea of the validity of what we're doing or our reasoning behind it. So I always try to make it super clear that, you know, we don't do this for money. It's just a hobby, but we, you know, just love these movies. Because I also, people must have a little bit of fear that people are going to be brought onto a podcast and then people are just going to like trash the movie or something. And uh, that's never, ever going to happen here Um, on any movie. We always keep it incredibly positive because we only talk about the movies that we love, really. Right. And and I I mean, yeah, I clearly got that just listening to the one on Little Giants and and just I listened to a couple others that you guys had on your website. And um, so I I definitely knew I was in safe hands, in a safe space. Uh, But yeah, I think, you know, for Max, I think um, he did a lot of this for a while. And I think it's just not it's not something he wants to do, which I totally get, you know, I I think you sort of hit me at an interesting moment where obviously it's quarantine and, um, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. And I was excited to talk about three ninjas, um, because I haven't, I haven't really been able to tell these stories. Can I tell you one more exclusive, no one knows behind the scenes story? Kate, you can tell us absolutely everything. (laughs) We're going to be here for hours. No, we really can't be. But uh, so I'm going to tell this story and I'm going to tell it because I hope that it will inspire people who've been through a moment that has felt like their whole life was crashing down around them, where it felt like everything was going wrong, felt like things, you know, were ending up in a moment of failure and how something could change in an instant and help you rise from the ashes, right? So uh, so I get cast in Three Ninjas, so excited. They had been shooting for a few weeks, maybe three or four weeks before I came on set. So there was this buildup to who is Emily and only Michael had met me. Uh, and, and just like in the movie, there was kind of this, this mythology about this Rocky and Emily relationship on set. It was sort of, you know, life imitating art, art imitating life. So there was a lot of excitement about me coming on set. Uh, that was, you know, obviously told to my mom not to me, but you know, this is my mom's version of the story. And so we get there and the first day, uh, the first shot is literally me on the bike as the boys are in grandpa's car. The first scene I'm in in the movie of them, you know, singing the song and seeing me on the bike on the street. That's the first thing we ever shot. And then the first, you know, real scene is that moment between me and Michael, me and Rocky, when we're seeing each other for the first time after he's been away during the summer and and you're feeling this relationship for the first time. And all of that was so real because, I mean, we were acting, but it was also this nervousness about us as two humans doing our first scene together, having these, you know, this kind of crush on each other and experiencing that on camera with everybody looking at us. So it's all, it's very real. That scene is is exactly what was happening off camera, <laughs> just translated to the happening on camera. And, you know, because Chad and um, and Max had been teasing Michael all day, and so it was just it was just bled into the cameras being on and and the dialogue being said. Uh, so that happens, and then you know we start shooting mostly um, those scenes that happened in the exterior of the house and the bike um, sequences, which, as I said earlier, not a great bike rider for some reason could not understand how to break that on that bike. I don't know why. Uh, Anyways, so we did all those scenes. And then we get to Friday and my agent calls my mom as we're on our way home from set. 
and she says, um, actually, this is the days before there were car phones or cell phones. So there was a message on the machine when we got home, my mom called her back. Um, and my agent said, okay, I've got some terrible news. Um, they want to recast Kate. And my mom, of course, is devastated. She's no idea how to tell me. It's going to completely like destroy me, rock my world. I mean, it's the, the worst possible news you could get, right? And so we spend the next 24 hours thinking, that's it. Like, I'm no longer Emily and Three Ninjas. They're recasting. And they didn't really have an answer as to why. They were just saying they want to go in a different direction with the part. They weren't really giving any specifics. Um, and then we get a call from John Turtletop. So that's a Friday. We get a call from John Turtletop directly on Sunday. Um, and he says to my mom, I feel so strongly that Kate needs to be in this movie and she's the only actress that can play this part that I've told them that if they let her go, I'm going with her. Wow. Which he is such a stand-up guy. This just shows how incredible John Turtletop is. Uh, I cannot thank him enough for this moment. He didn't have to do that. It was, again, his first feature. This is a big deal for him, right? I mean, walking away from this movie could change his entire career. He could never work again. He doesn't know. But he felt so strongly about me and about the connection I had with Michael and about how important it was to the movie to have this storyline and to, to have it be the two of us that he was willing to risk his whole career and he was right you know at the end of the day he made the right call and he fought so hard that I was on set on Monday and you know that you know for a, for an 11 year old you can imagine to then go on set on Monday knowing that the producers were you know an inch away or like wanted to fire me and here I am uh to have like the strength to go back and just be who I am and and not let it affect me and not let it affect my performance you know it's a testament to uh my strength and my ability to just push through and rise from the ashes right and then i had such a bond with john turtletob knowing that he had fought so hard and put his job on the line for me uh, i will never forget that and i will always always be so thankful to him and no one knows the story i mean no one knows this about him you're the first who are ever hearing it um, and again, like if you ever, you know, I've, I've said thank you to him, but if he happens to hear this, just, I'm so deeply thankful, um, for the conviction of his character. And it taught me such a huge lesson. Like when you believe and, and you know that something is right in your gut, you fight for it. And if that means you lose and you lose, um, but he didn't. And so I'm now in the movie as, as Emily and Three Ninjas. But there's a version of the story where I'm not Emily and Three Ninjas and we're not on this podcast together, you know? Well, that, that is crazy. And yeah, what an amazing story. And I mean, in some way, do you think that having that opportunity and knowing how close that it could have, you know, not, you know, gone away. Do you think that helped to motivate you to work so hard in, you know, later life when you were studying in, in London, et cetera? Do you think that's part of what yeah. made you so determined? Definitely. I mean, I think, I think knowing that it could be taken away so easily and so quickly, um, it, it makes you appreciate everything that you have even more and it makes you uh, fight for the things that you want. But also it 
because there have been setbacks in my career, right? There have been moments where I thought something was going to happen and it didn't. I thought I was going to sell three ninjas and it didn't happen. I mean, there's many of those stories. And part of why I think I've been successful is that I've fought through all of those setbacks and I haven't let them tear me down. And it's not easy. Um, just, you know, knowing that at any moment, you know, this career is so finite. It really is. I, you know, you're always on a razor's edge like not knowing, am I going to get another writing gig? Am I going to be able to continue doing what I love? Um, and I always just come back to just tell the right story that you believe in um, and whatever that is at the time, right? And the right story is what's right for me, not that it's right in terms of right versus wrong. It's like tell the story that means the most to you and tell it from a place of honesty. Um, and, and, you know, I think, again, like going back to John, like I think he, in that moment, is such a hero in my story, right? Um, and I'm sure he has a different version of what this was for him. But, um, you know, I think about that. And I think about his strength of character again and his fortitude. And, and, and I've wanted to model that. It's been such a moment for me of saying, like, I want to be that. And I want to make sure that if I'm ever faced with that moment in my career, that I make a choice like he did. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, to to talk about some of the other people in the movie, I mean, so your character, you're kind of perfectly slotted in sort of the second act, sort of in, in the middle there. And then, not that Dom knows, but at the end of the third act as well. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, so you, I don't know how much you got to work with some of the other actors, but I mean, I mean, Victor Wong, did you get to, like, was he cool on set? Like, yeah. He was great. I mean, we weren't we weren't in a ton of scenes together, but he was obviously there the first day that I shot because he was driving the car and he was part of that whole sequence, that whole scene. Um, so we got to work together that first day. Um, and then he was there. It's actually that night was the night shoot of when the boys get kidnapped and we're on the exterior of the house. And I walk up to Mrs. Douglas and I have a note from the um, the, the bad guys from the surfer dudes saying that they had taken the boys. And so we shot all of that on the same day. Uh, so, and, and he's part of that sequence as well. So um, he was just, just a great man. I mean, uh, he was the, the light and the heart of the set and super funny and kind. And he was the grand, he was the grandpa, right? Like he just was that guy for us uh, on set as well as in the movie. So yeah, nothing but wonderful memories of him. Well, I I uh, I've read online somewhere that apparently, and maybe you can confirm this. I don't know that okay. that grandpa's cabin still exists somewhere. I actually heard that it does. I I haven't been there, but it, it definitely still exists. For I mean, as far as I know, it was a real place. They didn't build that as a set, so it, it was a real cabin. So dope. We, we have said on on a previous podcast that we should do uh, visits to yeah. film sets and stuff like that, or places where you know films that we love have been filmed. So we we've got to find the cabin. Yeah, yeah. we do. Well, this is another thing, Dom, that will blow your mind. The opening, uh, like monologue, can it be monologue if more than one person speaks in it? You're the expert. We'll say voiceover. Yeah, so we'll look, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my brothers and I, whatever, that whole yeah. bit. That whole bit's different in the other cut as well. Like, it's the same, but different. Like, it's sort of jumbled around a little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't cope. I can't handle this. It's not right. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, you just changed it all. It's all different. Yeah, Dom, you have a whole world that's going to open up for you now when you see this other version of the movie. <laughs> well, um, so other other people that are that are in the movie as well. Um, so you've got uh, Alan McRae. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who mm. played Sam Douglas? Who mm-hmm. has been in loads of things. He was in Dallas. Um, he, I tried reaching out to him as well. Um, yeah. You know, who knows? These people might 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 come back. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, well, they're going to hear this podcast and they're going to be super sad they weren't a part of it. <laughs> Amen. 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 Um, and, uh, and we had Margarita Franco, who played mm-hmm. Jessica Douglas. Um, and she was in Free of the Free Ninja movie. Yes. Yep. Um, I mean, what were they cool to work with? Are they, did you stay in touch with them? or? Yeah, I mean, it was having adults who are seasoned professionals who had been on many sets before it's always lovely to have that energy and that professionalism you know because we're all kids at the end of the day like i you know i had had a bit of a career before the movie and max had obviously had the most extensive amount of work before the movie um and you know michael as i said this is his first time ever being on a set um and chad had worked as a child actor as well but we were all pretty green you know and it was my first feature so to be able to look to these adult actors who you know like hit their mark and know their lines and super prepared that's what you're modeling as a kid you're like okay that's that's the bar that i need to hit and everyone was great on set i mean again it was just such a feeling of, you know, even though we had obviously the little blip with me, but for the most part, you know, and that had nothing to do with the cast and crew, obviously, but like we had such a feeling of community and family on the set. Um, and the boys and I were very close. Uh, so that always felt, you know, fun. Every time we were on set together, it was just fun. We just had a blast and they were funny and they were exactly what you think they would be off camera. Um, most of their personalities were very similar to the parts they played um, in the movie. And so you can imagine when the cameras weren't rolling the things that we would say and do and that we were good kids there was no trouble but um but yeah and you know and then we'd spend hours together in school so I don't know if you guys probably know this but when you're a kid uh you have to have school hours so you know you sit in a little trailer together and do your homework and there's a school teacher who comes and teaches you and we're at all different levels so that can be a little challenging so then you spend all that time together and you really bond you know it's a, it's a lot of you're in this bubble and you're the only ones who understand what it means to do this together and tend to be on this journey together so it bonds you for life and I think you know that's why when I saw Max, after all these years, it was just like an immediate recognition and connection because we had experienced this together, which I'm sure all your guests who've been on movies like this say the same thing. Like it just, um, it, it affected all of our lives in such a positive way, um, at least at the time of shooting it, that, you know, we carry those memories with us. Was there ever any like, you know, child type, like, you know, not really boyfriend, girlfriend, any, any type of that stuff? Was any of that real? 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely had a crush on on Michael who played Rocky. That was that was real. Those feelings were not just for when the cameras turned on. We there was definitely something from the moment we laid eyes on each other in that audition room. You know, like you just you know when you're even at the age of eleven, you know when you have a crush on someone. It's just there. So it was very innocent and very PG. We were he was twelve, I was eleven, so it was. Yeah, and we never could really be alone because, you know, you have your mom or your guardian or dad or, you know, whoever's there with you on set um, and everyone's watching you like a hawk. But I do have a memory. There was one moment, I don't know how, but somehow we finagled it. So I was alone with him in his trailer and we were like, oh, we're just going to like play video game. He had, you know, he had a really nice trailer, much nicer than mine. And so he had a whole video game, like Nintendo thing set up. And I remember we were just like sitting on this little like couch and playing Nintendo and at one point I I think we held hands I have like a distinct memory of hand holding but that's really as far <laughs> as the romance went again we were so young uh, so it didn't really you know go beyond that obviously uh, but it's the, the excitement of that I think you see that on camera you see it in the movie that there was like a legitimate crush between the two of us so Great, another great exclusive. Here, yes. here again, it's all exclusives. I know, right? <laughs> this is the crazy one. This is the one that we need to get. Everyone needs to get into the CSI cyber mode here. Okay. Snyder. Oh, yeah. Brand Kingsley. He has two acting credits ever. One is Free Ninjas that came first. And then the second one, he was basically like an extra in something else. And then that's it. There's nothing on the internet about this man. I know. Well, do you know his picture on um what well, when you're looking up when you look up three ninjas on the film, his his little icon, his little picture is of Ben Kingsley. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Ben Kingsley and strangely has four eyes. Not as in he's got blood look, I'm gonna see if you can see it. So he's oh actually next He's actually next to you, Kate. Oh, great. Can you see that, can <laughs> yeah. you see that that's Ben Yes, yes. That is How so weird. weird. That? that is that super is so weird. So super I thought I'd just weird. look up just so I've got, you know, the cast there. <laughs> yes, so I remember yes. everyone. And, yeah. and I was just looking at it thinking, uh, well, that's, that's Ben Kingsley. What's happened here? So it's so random. Ben he Kingsley wasn't in it. Was he in not, the original that I've no, missed? Yeah. No, Ben Kingsley's not in right, okay. I, can, I, I can guarantee that. <laughs> that would be a huge exclusive. <laughs> if I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> Massive. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't, I'm trying to think, I didn't intersect with him because all of his scenes uh, took place on days where I wasn't working. So I don't think I ever actually met him i'm forgetting his name but the guy who played the the main give me his name i can't think patrick of his name. patrick yes thank you. so right. he he was famous for being on little house of the prairie so my mom actually was a little starstruck because she was a massive fan of that show and so she knew him and um so he was he was really like the most sort of like well-known person on set was he was he laura ingalls you know, he was not Laura Ingalls. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the sum of my little house in the Perry knowledge. Right. right it was more than mine. <laughs> no. um, 
So yeah, he was great. And I learned a lot from him on set. He was just such a wonderful presence and super professional and um, nothing like his character. I mean, that was all completely for the part. Uh, he's just like a normal, lovely guy. Not that, you know, the surfer dudes weren't normal, but they definitely, <laughs> they definitely were, you know, not great. They were kidnapping kids, you know. Um, so he definitely, it was a, it was a stress for him. Uh, but yeah, and there's so, so the day where we shot the scene where sort of the culmination of like the whole home alone sequence in the house where they're going after the surfer dudes and um you know rocky and, and colt are in a room and all of a sudden the door bursts open as the surfer dudes and they've got me at gunpoint basically uh so that day i was really sick i had a really and it's so crazy to tell the story in light of like covid 19 the pandemic because like you know, when you're sick and you are working, you work. It won't be that way anymore, but um, there's no like, hey, I need a sick day. It's like, everyone's here, we're shooting these scenes, like we've got the location, you have the flu, it doesn't matter, like push through it. And so, and I'm not like an 11 year old kid, I'm like super sick. And um, so they, <laughs> so that's the day I have to do my stunt, right? I have to punch and kick and like do the whole thing. and. I was so excited about it leading up to that day because obviously, you know, the boys were getting to do a lot of this crazy fun action. And this is going to be the moment where I get to be part of that and get to sort of show what I can do. And I've been working with a stunt coordinator and, you know, it was a simple stunt, but again, like I'm 11, it's the first time I've ever done it before. I was super sick and Patrick was just incredible. I mean, he really got me through that whole thing and sort of gave me a pep talk and uh, was really there for me because it was really a scene between us at the end of the day. Right. Uh, and he was just, I, again, like so many experiences in this movie taught me what it meant to be um, a team member on a set and to really, uh, to support everyone around you. It's, it is a team sport. When you're there on that, on that set, like you are working as a whole team. It doesn't happen unless everyone does their job. And Patrick just really showed me like in the tough moments, like when you have to like dig deep like you gotta, you gotta just fight really hard to make this work because every single person on the set is staring at you going, are you going to do this? Are you going to be able to get us home on time? <laughs> and if, if we have to do multiple takes of this because you can't do it, you know, that's, that becomes on your shoulders. It becomes on me. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm just so thankful for him. And we, I love that scene. It's like one of my favorite scenes in the movie and, uh, just knowing how sick I was that day and, and how I had to sort of pull it out and, and just, uh, really fight through that. It, you know, it makes that scene even, even better for me. Well, I was going to ask, is it, uh, where, were you feeling sick because you were trying to pick up the random drink, just the scene before? <laughs> right? It was the first time me watching it this time thinking Emily was just picking up drinks left, right, and center. <laughs> I was really thirsty. I was really thirsty. Saved by Tum Tum, though. Not saved by yes. Rocky. Saved by Tum Tum. Yes, that's right. That's right. Tum Tum and I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dom, I'm dying to know. Simon teased earlier on in the conversation your theory about Emily's involvement in the movie and something about her, you know, being an integral reason why things go the way they go. And so I would just love to know what that theory is. Well, I actually think Emily is the, um, the overall, potentially the overall protagonist. You can look at this film in two, in two ways. You can look at the three ninjas 
as the heroes that save the day, or you can see Emily uh, as the uh, the actual real hero of the of the story. So always tells Rocky to stop showing off and behave. Very sensible young lady. Um, gets her bike. Don't laugh. It's true. Gets bike taken. Gets bike taken off, and is actually like, do you know what? These things happen. You know what? That's your fault, Rocky. You made that happen, so you need to sort it out and get my bike back. He's not a hero for doing that, for 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 winning the bike back. He's he's just an immature kid. But you're the one that like basically taught him a lesson. Go and get my bike back. Simple. And then when the uh, the three surfer dudes are in the house and they're like, come over in the little cans, and you you sort of fall for it, you know. But it's an it's an honest mistake anyone would do. Um, and you go over. Then when there's like a little scuffle and, and all sorts of things are happening. Uh, you're the one that that turns around and gives him a smack. So actually, had um, had that continued, and the rest of the team around you, so the the three ninjas, had actually caught on and then got involved, that they wouldn't have been caught by anyone else, and they wouldn't have been kidnapped and stuff like that. So actually, Emily is is the hero of the story, and you go and tell their mum. You go, you know, you give her the, you go tug her on the shoulder and go, I know where they are, and then you run away. So, Emily's the hero, all the way, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I uh, love that. <laughs> Emily also manages to to do her, you know, fight part without any training. You didn't have grandpa. Yeah. You weren't lighting up right? in the woods in the cabin. Yeah, that was just baked into me. That was just like part of my being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You had, no, you had no nin- ninja tricks. You no. were just full on LA smash. And you're doing it without showing off, Rocky, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I was doing it to save everyone. I had there was a purpose to that violence. <laughs> I mean, the, the only one thing is the police probably could have used a witness statement. I mean, you did kind of you know, duck out pretty quickly. Yeah, I you did know. run away. I probably should have stuck around to tell them, give them descriptions. You know, but, that would have been probably helpful. But ba- Batman catches the bad guys and doesn't take his mask off and go, I caught them, this is what happened, <laughs> officer. True. Here's a statement. That's Batman, true. Batman goes, That's this true. is what happened and, and disappears, doesn't he? So Emily's here. Emily's yeah. Batman. Oh, Emily's Batman. I, I, <laughs> Batman. <laughs> I don't know. Batman's origin story is Emily from Three Ninjas is a little crazy, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'm you know, sure. something I, right, something I always thought about was, because, you know, it wasn't in the movie, it wasn't scripted, but like, the events that led Emily to have that piece of paper, right? Like, I ran off to get napkins, the bad guys show up, like, Snyder's guys show up, right, to take over because the surfer dudes have totally screwed it up. And then did I come back out and, like, the boys were being kidnapped and they just handed me a note? Like, why didn't they take me? Why did they leave me there? Why did they leave a witness? All these things. When you really start unraveling it, it's a little crazy. Yeah, why did they leave a note? Oh, because they, well... They wanted... They, want, yeah. they wanted Grandpa. Like, they wanted them to know that the kids had been taken but just seems like you probably don't want a witness that can id the perpetrators of the crime yeah having written on a lot of law shows <laughs> but we don't have to worry about that because it's like it's a fun movie that no one has to think that deep about but 
<laughs> food for thought. <laughs> love it. But Dom, I love that. That made my day. That's that is a pretty cool theory that you have there. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. That's great. <laughs> next time, next time we watch it, let's all watch it through the eyes of Emily. Yeah, as as it's her movie. I love it. That's fantastic. I suppose in a way, you do watch it through the eyes of Emily. So. <laughs> yes, literally, actually, yeah. literally. <laughs> Can I ask about the cup phones? Because of course, or yes. the phones, they yes, that very is, iconic. Uh, that is iconic, and yeah. that was something that uh, I loved the idea of uh, when I was a kid. Of like, oh, that's so cool, but you know. I have no friends that live near my house or so it's not, but I mean, yeah. Can you tell us about it? Sure. I mean, you're not the first person to ask. Um, (laughs) I don't think, no, 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 it's, (laughs) no, it's not, that was not a dig. Um, No, uh, or I'm not taking the piss as they say. Where you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't think they would legitimately work in real life. Like, I think at some point, a bunch of kids tried. I know, like, friends of mine tried to actually set up something like that, and it doesn't really work. But it was great for the movie, for the premise of the movie. Um, and, yeah, so that set, so that was, those interior um, sets were built on a soundstage. Um, so my bedroom and their bedroom, I don't even think we're near each other. So they didn't obviously like really <laughs> connect to each other. Right. Uh, and I remember the first time I, uh, got to walk into my, you know, Emily's bedroom and there was sort of this joke on set because they just put me in pink for the entire, I mean, every outfit I'm in is pink. And then we walk into the bedroom and it's just pink. I mean, the entire bedroom <laughs> So I'm like, does does everyone just think that girls just wear pink on? Okay. Uh, And I love pink. I mean, I'm a big fan of pink, but it was just like, oh, a lot of pink. Uh, Yeah, but it was fun to get to be in, you know, they built a bedroom for one, maybe one scene? Or am I in the bedroom for two scenes? I can't remember. Is it one or two? I don't know. I think it's one. So imagine for that one scene, they build a bedroom for me. Oh, no, it's two. Wait, it's two. Well, it's, it's two. It's they because you. Speak oh yeah, I'm talking right. Yeah, yeah, there's two. So I'm talking with Rocky in an earlier scene when we decide to to take the bikes and go to school and ride together, and then there's the scene where the the bad guys, the surfer dudes, call me and pretend to be Rocky. So yeah, so for those two scenes, it felt a whole bedroom for me and. And that was just really surreal and fun and um and then obviously like to be talking to a can so you know the way that works is obviously you know um i don't remember exactly but typically on set when you shoot a scene like that you're not usually hearing the other actor right so someone's reading lines for you either the script supervisor sometimes the director Sometimes if an actor happens to be shooting that day, they'll be off camera saying their lines. But usually you're just talking to someone who's just sort of monotone reciting words, uh, which can be challenging as another sort of acting challenge. Um, so yeah, I, I don't exactly remember, but I, I doubt that Michael was there the day. So we're, we're not actually talking to each other in any of those scenes, um, which, you know, makes it the magic of movies. And other exclusive. What, what, I, what I love about um, one of the scenes when is when the surfer dudes have got the can, and he's like, "Hey, come over!" It just, it's basically Mickey Mouse shouting down this can, and you're like, "Why did it? Yeah. 
I'm Why not... did I think that was Rocky's voice? And the only, thing I can, the only thing I can think is that it must have been a situation where the the voice always came through kind of strangely because <laughs> why why did I think that that was real? Um, yeah, and then I, I think another sort of moment. So the the again the night that we shot the scene when I walk in the house and the surfer dudes are hiding behind the fern the plant and I'm like calling for Rocky, calling for Mrs. Douglas. That was also, I think, shot on the day that I was really sick. Um, and that was also, again, one of, like, my favorite moments. Just, like, the moment when I, like, turn, like, my eyes kind of go back to where the fern is when they start laughing. I don't know. That's just... But it kind of, at that moment, we could be in a Scream movie, right? At right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that that could, in a, in a different film... That could have gone very differently for me. For, from what I've heard, it is a different film. So <laughs> it, it could have happened. That yeah. is the point that uh, yeah. Ghostface comes in and just starts <laughs> right? attacking people. So. Oh my gosh, but, right? Uh, someone, someone's probably able to edit that together on YouTube, I'd imagine. Probably. But can I just, has anybody ever over the years brought this up to you, Kate, that potentially... Rocky doesn't treat you very well throughout the film. In fact, I'd go as far as to say there's moments of disrespect there. When you're on the can, you know, he's... I'm just saying, when, Wait, when I was Rocky can't... in my garden, I was a lot more respectful. Oh, if, if, if this you, goes out, If this goes out to America, you can't say on the can. Uh. It means, different, means a different uh, thing. It does mean a different thing. Yeah. You are the first person who's ever brought that up. And now I have some deep soul searching to do because, <laughs> look, I think in a way, and maybe this is just projecting my own experience as a preteen, but very often growing up when there was a, a boy in my life that I had a crush on, they weren't always the nicest. So I think it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a a real depiction of what it means to kind of be that age and, and have a crush on somebody and how boys and girls kind of treat each other in, in that awkward phase of, you know, we're not really kids, but we're not really teenagers and we can't really have a relationship, but there's feelings there. Um, and I think a lot of times boys, especially when they get teased, like Rocky does in the movie, I think the instinct can be to kind of downplay it or like, I don't really like her like that. And then kind of, sh in a way, behave in that vein when the brothers are looking or their friends are looking. And, you know, I don't know if you guys did that when you were kids, but I definitely remember boys in my, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, who later on would tell me that they had crushes on me. I'm like, you were really mean to me. I don't understand. Why did you act that way then? Complicated people, men, boys. <laughs> Complicated. Hey. I literally, I had a boy. I'm going to call him out right now. I'm going to call you out. <laughs> Do it. I had a boy named Henry in fifth grade. It was either fourth or fifth grade who stuck an entire glob of strawberry bubble yum. And that, that gum is big, right? He just stuck it to the back of my head. That's horrible. And then years later, so then I changed schools. We go our separate ways. I'm a senior because in high school. Because of Henry. What? 
You changed schools because of Henry. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> we moved. We moved. But then years later, I'm I'm at a living in a different town, a different, you know, completely different, you know, in Los Angeles County, but completely different school system. And I'm in my senior year of high school, and this kid's signing my yearbook, and he's like, "Oh, he's like, this is so crazy." But one of my best friends had a massive crush on you when you guys were in elementary school together, and he was looking through my yearbook, and he couldn't believe that I go to high school with you. And I said, I literally had no idea who he was talking about. I said, who? And he goes, Henry. <laughs> Henry? <laughs> this kid who, like, tormented and tortured me. I don't even know how we got on the subject. But all, you can cut all of this out, by the way. This is not necessary <laughs> for your listeners. <laughs> this is 100% staying in. I think the th Henry obviously couldn't process emotion at that age. Right. Another thing that Dom and I often talk about is the development of the, your frontal lobe in your brain as you get older. So I'm sure, Henry, wherever you are, you can yes. process these emotions now. But guess yes. what, buddy? It's too late. You messed it up a long time ago. <laughs> you could have been just, Rocky, but you're not. Right? Just to put it back one, real quick, though, to the, to the Rocky thing, there is also... Though he's teasing you and everything, there are those nice moments that he like looks to you for permission. So it's almost like yeah. there's probably a barrier to as far as he would go. And being married myself, I understand that that situation, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I think for Rocky in the movie, I think I was the the gauge of like how far is too far, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, he knew that I was sort of the the support system for him in that moment um and if i sort of looked at him like mm -mm, i you know he i think he took it to heart whether he would follow what i wanted him to do is a whole different story but and i think in that final when you see that final scene dom in the director's cut version you know me sort of saying to him like go show off like do it it's this really great moment you know where we had this sort of struggle this mini argument with each other where we haven't seen eye to eye um and then I kind of unleash him <laughs> and I don't even think if you like really want to like dig deep into it like I don't think Emily really knew to the extent of, of what he was capable of, right? I, like, I don't think I knew he's like literally a killing machine. Like, I mean, obviously he doesn't, he doesn't kill the kid, but he could. I mean, grandpa is teaching them at the beginning of the movie how to kill someone, right? Like when it's light up the eyes. Yeah. Those, are, those are kill points, okay? <laughs> like, well, I know we're not gonna get like super, super deep because it's a kid's movie, but I mean, like when you think about it, and, and that's something that when we thought about, you know, the adult version of it, what happens when you're an adult with that power? What does that look like? You know, you're a kid with that power. Like, obviously, they weren't killing any of those guys on that ship. You know, they were hurting them. They were injuring them. They were rendering them unconscious. But, like, if you're an adult with that power, with that ability, and you use it for, you know, negative purposes or you take it too far, you kill someone, that's a whole different ballgame. So, anyways. All this to say, I don't think Emily knew that that Rocky had that had that full range of power in him, but he did. I love that. I love that. Well, um, also, okay, this is a question we always ask. Uh, you know, celebrities have been in in movies. Uh, um, did you take any props from the movie? <laughs> that is such a good question. I honestly, I feel like I did get something, and I feel like I had. I, I have to ask my mom. I could just be misremembering this, but it I counts. feel like 
I did not get one of the cans. I wish I had. Um, <laughs> I wish I had. I, I will come back to you. I don't, I don't have anything still, I should say. It's not like I have something in a box that's traveled with me since the movie that I could pull out right now and show you. But I feel like there must have been something that I was either given or that maybe my mom has in a box in the garage somewhere. Um, but nothing, nothing exciting like having the can, which would have been very cool. Well, uh, we had, so Rule D. Lewis, who was in Cool Run-Ins, he said that uh, Dougie Doug, the guy that played Sanka in Cool Run-Ins, still has his lucky egg. Um, oh, I love that. It's cool. Um, that is very cool. So to give some context, I reckon I've probably watched Three Ninjas, the the original version, probably about 30 times, three zero in my lifetime, wow. probably, I'd imagine, maybe more. How many times, roughly, do you think you have seen the movie? Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, a lot more than that. Um, well, because you have to also have to remember, like, whenever I was in a relationship with somebody in my 20s and into my 30s, they'd want to watch it with me. It sort of became this rite of passage of, like, I'm dating Emily. Now I have to watch Three Ninjas with her, right? It's not like the full experience unless I'm sitting next to her while we're watching her in the movie. So <laughs> there, are, there are all of those experiences, which are just bizarre. You know, and then to like date someone who says to you, like, I had a crush on you when I was 11 and now I'm dating you. And to me, you're always Emily from Three Ninjas. Like I had a couple of those and that's, it's so flattering, but it's also like a little bizarre. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then, you know, just over the years, I mean, obviously when, when the version, the uncut director's cut came out that I, I mean, I'm sure I watched that more than I actually watched the original just because, um, I was so excited that the full version of the movie existed and just trying to, you know, see the scenes back in their original form. And, um, so yeah, I don't know, a hundred times, maybe more. I couldn't even tell, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> Love it. A lot of times. I've watched it a lot of times. Tom, how many times do you think you've seen it? I, I think probably in like 20 plus. So the least out of everyone. No, it either goes one, one way or the other with, the, with the, the actors that we have on. They've either watched it once or right. a thousand times. It's, it's, yeah. it's sort of, there's no like middle ground. Right. If I was in the Free Ninjas, which I am in my own mind, but I would have... <laughs> watched it a million times i mean that's something that i don't know if it's different in america like is it on any of like, it's not on disney plus you said um it hasn't been on disney plus because they sold it to hulu which is owned by disney so i think hulu has the rights to it it may at some point move to disney plus once their deal with hulu although it's all owned by disney so they may just keep it on hulu but um and then you know when it was uh and it's full form on YouTube because, you know, obviously I had the VHS, I had a DVD and then all of a sudden like, you know, no one uses their DVD player anymore. And so you're just hoping it comes on television uh, so you can maybe like have it on your DVR. And so when the whole version was put on YouTube, that was exciting. It's like, oh, I can just like send someone a link and be like, here, <laughs> this is the movie I was in, <laughs> um, which is such a weird thing because every job I've been on, so it either goes one way or the other. Either 
you love the movie and you were a huge fan and it defined your childhood or you've never heard of it in your entire life, right? There's really no, like, I kind of know three ninjas. It's either I'm a massive fan or I don't know it. And so every job I've been on, there's always one person in the room. It's usually a guy. Sometimes it's a woman, but like, it's usually a guy who like falls out of their chair. Literally, I had a guy like fully fall out of his chair when he <laughs> realized I was Emily from three ninjas. Uh, and then, you know, they like want to go like watch the movie and they want to talk to me about it. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's always, it's always warmed my heart. It always makes me nostalgic and excited that someone loves it and wants to talk about it, uh, and, and reminisce with me about the movie. Cause it was such a massive thing for me. It was such a turning point in my life and meant so much. And for, again, for, you know, not to age myself, but it's been quite a long time since I shot that movie. And so to still be talking about it, to still have it matter, um, it, it's, it's a flash in a pan. It's a once in a lifetime thing. It just, there's so few people in the world who have experienced that kind of effect on millions of people. And again, it's a kid's movie, right? It, you know, we didn't change the world. Um, we didn't save lives, but we inspired kids. We, uh, I think, brought friendships together, like Simon and Don, like you guys. And, you know, that's, that's what you want. You want a movie that you're in to make kids excited about playing together, talking about it, and into the decades and like, you know, it's nuts that we're having this conversation. The movie came out in 1992. It is 2020. <laughs> that is insane. Like when you really start to like break it down, that is crazy. But yeah, so. Well, it's crazy and insane to us to be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you, I mean, the, the movie, I think it holds such perfect weight because when you're a kid, it's kind of the, it's kind of the kid version, in my opinion, of Karate Kid, Home Alone, obviously that is a kid film, and Die Hard. You put them together. Yeah, you, yeah. Get, you get three ninjas. You got three ninjas. <laughs> so Dom's shaking his head because on every episode I connect the movie to Die Hard because, you know, why not? It's an 80s film. Not allowed. It is. It no. is. I mean, me and Elizabeth <laughs> Shue, like I love being in the same category as Elizabeth Shue. That makes me, that makes me happy. I'm hoping that they're going to bring her back for the next season of Cobra Kai. They kind of yeah. left it like that. So. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't spoil anything for you. Those guys are great. Uh, again, like such a, a random, like how lives just intertwine. Uh, yeah, I just worked for them on a show, that the, not Cobra Kai, a different show they created, and um, I was a huge fan of Cobra Kai. Like I was actually starstruck a little bit when I met them because I had been binge watching it and um, they're great. They're great guys and they just love that whole franchise and they're so passionate about it. Uh, and they did a really great job. I mean, they, in a way, like I'm kind of jealous because I feel like they did what I wanted to do with Three Ninjas that I haven't been able, I couldn't crack the code and they did. Uh, and you know, awesome for them, so happy for them, worked for them, great guys. Uh, but there's like a part of me that just thinks like, ooh, if I'd only, I'd only crack that code, you know? Like we could be sitting here talking about Three Ninjas, the TV show we are on going Netflix, to. you know? <laughs> it's gonna happen, I believe it can still happen, I do. Hey, 
Honestly, I think if fans like put a petition together and there was enough public support, who knows? Who knows what could happen? People want to know there's a built-in audience. People, you know, these executives want a sure thing, as sure a thing as they can get. So if there's public pressure, if people are excited about it, if they're demanding it, if they're asking for it, if they know people are going to watch it, then the conversation changes, you know? Right. Well, there we go. So anyone listening, watching, you got to put all of this in the comments. You got to say how much you want this show and we need to spread it so that we can, as a, as a people, make this happen. I mean, there are more pressing things to, to, of course. to be rallying of course. right yes. now. Yes. But once, well, you know, this is also important in a different way. So, right. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and an honor. Um, I just oh. have to say uh, sincerely that, yeah, this film means so, not, so much to me. I absolutely love it. It is it's a staple for me forever. When I have children touch wood at some point, it will be forced onto them to watch it. No. Um, and uh, yeah, Dom? Uh, the, the same for me. It's, thank you so much for your time and, and talking to us and uh, your message at the beginning as well. Very important. Uh, and everything that you've had to say um, all the way through is, has been great and very insightful. And it's great to have all the little exclusives and very nice to meet you. And uh, great to talk to you. So thank you very much for your time as well. Thank you, guys. And if you if you uh, if you do ever catch up with uh, Max, Chad, Michael, any of them, regardless of we know we don't we don't need them to speak on it, but just send on our regards <laughs> and tell them how much of a fan we are of them and of uh, of the movie. And hopefully, may, who knows? Maybe they'll watch this. If they are watching, thank you for the movie. Um, <laughs> If, uh, if this is your first time seeing us or if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe on podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your stuff. Drop in the plugs, <laughs> all of that good stuff. Uh, you can catch more stuff on our website, themighty90s.com. Uh, Kate, is there anything where, you know, your Twitter and stuff? We'll put all the links um, to that in. Uh, but yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm the most active there. I, again, it's very political. So um, if you're not into that type of thing, understood. But yeah, so, you know, I do tweet about entertainment, but given the state of things and what's happening in our world, I've obviously been um, tweeting more about that uh and yeah so thank you again guys i really really appreciate you taking all this time with me and i hope this you know reached your expectations for what you imagined this conversation was gonna be beyond beyond <laughs> Mass massively exceeded expectations oh good yeah. good and when when you have uh when you when hopefully the world normalizes again post covid 19 etc then uh, you know, and you have something that, that we can help to promote or shed any light on. We'd love to speak to you again. And uh, yeah, we just, yeah, anything to have a conversation about that we can talk about on the podcast with. Yeah, we'd love to do that. I would love that. I will definitely reach out to you. Hopefully, you know, send good vibes. I think, you know, maybe this will be the year or soon where there's something that I get to promote that's, that's officially mine. That would be great. But if not, you know, I love bringing other people's shows to fruition and their ideas to, you know, 
the small screen. And um, yeah, I'm just so thankful for this career and, and for all the fans who've watched all the shows that I've been a part of. I couldn't, I wouldn't be here without you. So um, if you happen to be a Castle fan and you're watching this, most of the people who follow me are Castle fans. Um, and I, I will promote this on Twitter. So <clears throat> if you happen to be watching, Sorry that there wasn't a lot of castle behind the scenes, <laughs> but thank you for listening. And um, yeah, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you guys. If if you do, and not if, when, when you're a showrunner, yes. I, it's always been, Dom's already achieved this, but it's been a dream of mine to just be an extra in the background <laughs> of something. And I, there was a movie that was filmed, you know, Simon Pegg, who did like Shaun of the Dead and mm-hmm. stuff. They did mm-hmm. a movie here in the town that uh, that I live in. And, uh, and me and my wife went to be extras. And oh, really? The, audi- the audition process. So my wife, it's a lo- long story short, my wife was helping them with the locations. Um, and uh, anyway, they said you should be an extra. And the audition process was all you had to do was walk in a straight line because you just had to be like a zombie in the background. Right. Yeah. So me and my wife walk in the straight line. She gets it. I don't because I can't walk straight. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? It's harder than you think. Hitting your mark, saying your lines. People think, oh, I could do that. But when you have the pressure of an entire crew and the lights and the camera, it's a lot. And so, yeah, walking in a straight line. I mean, not everybody, not everybody can do that. Well, if you can find a piece for me as an extra where I don't, where I can just sit or something, <laughs> I'll fly right. to Calais for that one. Yes. Okay, deal. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much and uh, good luck with everything. And yeah, hopefully we can stay in contact and yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, stay safe, guys, please, with everything going on. You You too. Stay well, stay safe. Wear masks, everybody, when you're out. And um, yeah, just wishing everybody peace and joy and love. And um, yeah, stay safe. Show me the honey. Steamboat Billy. Doot, doot. Don't want to raise your kids. I don't even like kids. His name is Robert Paulson. You're not even a hashbear. You're a never was. I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm going to show you God does exist. I am invincible. Go, baby, go. Once again. I see pride. Junior. I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. That's right. right. There's not a man today who could take me away from my God. You get licking. Yacht. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. And I don't think they give him for surfing the internet. <laughs> Rocky loves Emily. Rocky, Rocky loves Emily. Emily. Rocky loves What's Emily. What's going on?